Welcome to Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen. Coming up, this is our year-end episode, which we have dubbed, I have dubbed, and everyone else has went along with this uh, naming of it, our annual Richard Lester dinner, which is, um, first off, I'm joined by Ted Haycraft. Yes. The, yes. And Aaron Smith. Uh, delighted to be here, Shane. <laughs> and this used to be a tradition of ours where I would come home from whether I was living in Los Angeles or Atlanta for Christmas to visit family. One of the last things I would do was the three of us, maybe whoever else would join, would go to IHOP and we'd catch up on what we watched for the year. And we'd usually stay at IHOP until the sun came up. But it was basically our way of doing our top 10 list, which now that we're recording this and we're not in an IHOP, maybe next year we'll be in an IHOP, but not this year or last year. But this is our way of, of catching up on the year, guys. Yeah. And, of course, the reason the Richard Lester is because I brought up the uh, the theory that he may be the uh, godfather of the modern music video. You and- say brought up as, as you did it one time <laughs> and only one time. And Aaron and I have gone to blows. This happens every year. We, we and uh, every year. So anyway. without fail, every year. But uh, yeah. Anyway, well, we, I don't want to make this a Richard Lester podcast. So moving on. I'm so touched to hear you say <laughs> that. I think I need to cl- clip that out and put that on at the beginning of other episodes when we do talk about Richard Lester. <sighs> uh, first off, uh, let's go ahead with what we. How did you get any cool for Christmas? Did you uh, watch anything cool recently, Smith? Uh, I do not get anything for Christmas because I was bad again this year, as I usually am. Uh, This week, I watched The Harder They Fall, uh, the Western on Netflix. It was solid. Uh, That's that's, that's a music video director, right? uh, Yeah. And it wasn't bad. I didn't dislike it, uh, but it's getting a lot of acclaim. And I just felt like it wasn't wasn't really that strong. I, I mean... I'm not saying that, it, you know, obviously if you like Westerns or even... Uh, Westerns Western, are going to come up on this episode, it too. It feels like Django Jr. to me. I felt like it had a heavy influence from Django. Okay. And so if you like that style of Western, then certainly I think you may enjoy it. And it certainly has all the violence of, of a Western. So it has a lot of the elements that you would expect from a a Western. But it, it just didn't work as well for me as I'd hoped it would. But it was it was good. Um. Ted, when did you watch this or recently? Well, uh, the, the most recent thing in the theater was uh, Red Rocket. I was really surprised it showed up in Evansville. Um, so I'm seeing. I really want to see it. It's uh, by the guided Florida project, Sean you know, Baker and Sean Baker, and uh, didn't really know much about it at all, and and uh, really really went down well. Uh, good character piece, and the actor playing the main character. I was going to ask, did you even know who the actor was? He was like a uh, was he MTV star turned porn actor. Yeah, I, didn't, I really don't know. Didn't know much about him, and he pretty amazing performance. And huh. uh, I still need to see it. Um, it's it's shot by Drew Daniels, who uh, I I edited a movie that he shot previously. He's an amazing cinematographer, so I'm really looking forward to see it. I guess I brought up the Christmas thing just because I'm the only one that had a movie related Christmas present I wanted to talk about. Which was um, my my I, my my family knows to go through my Amazon list, oh, yeah. wish list for. Uh, and so they got uh, my brother and my mother both got me the J.W. Rensler, the making of Alien, the first Alien. And if you aren't familiar with these, these giant t- coffee table books, J.W. Rensler, he did a Star Wars trilogy, Indiana Jones, Alien Aliens, and Planet of the Apes is the only one I don't have. But he died this year in July. Uh, he's these making of books are by far the greatest making of books. You get you get through these books, you understand how 
technicians, how human beings made these movies. Some, you know, sometimes it seems like storytellers are touched by the gods. These may give you day-to-day showing of the, the first Star Wars books has this really cool sequence where, you know, that legendary screening where they showed, um, uh, De Palma, uh, Spielberg, uh, all the USC crew, whoever, supposedly an early version of Star Wars with, uh, with the World War II footage and I think the planet score instead of John, the temp score with the planets and King, and King Kong and stuff in it. it. That has the most detailed description of what really happened instead of all the like, Brian De Palma hated it and went out to eat Chinese and then rewrote the crawl stuff. This has a the actual moment to moment, everyone's real reaction. Rinsler's, it's, it's a loss. Well, and you got a nice uh, coffee table book on David Fincher for me. I did get that just yeah. just now too. Yes. Uh, my watch was on TCM. TCM had these Christmas movies where they were movies you just didn't know took place during Christmas or were related to Christmas. Uh, the Silent Partner, which is from the late seventies, it's Elliot Gould movie. Uh, it is is a I I, I it's been suggested to me a lot recently, and it's it's a missed thing. It's it's an early Curtis Hansen screenplay. Um, which it's the, what's the Curtis Hansen movie that Steve Gutenberg was in? He directed that broken in, window, broken it's something window. Yeah. yeah, the window that cracked or the op- something. The open window. Um, they have a lot of similarities. There's a plot point early on with, uh, but uh, that overlaps between two. Even though I think uh, they're both adapted from different books, but uh, it and but Christopher Plummer in the movie is just I don't know anybody that hasn't seen that doesn't love it. It's just like an overlooked, really cool little gem. Later day Elliot Gould film that you know when his he wasn't the box office hot commodity that he was at one time and we and we don't know exactly like there's that period where it just feels like he like mini retired in the middle seventies yeah, like I'm just going to do SNL episodes yeah and so it's it was a strange and then and then at a performance by Christopher Plummer you're not, you're never going to uh, imagine your life seeing Christopher Plummer play this part it's a great part uh, and when I, when he uh, died uh, on my on my rest in peace montage on Facebook it was. Uh, Either a shot of him as Santa Claus or as uh, in drag. Which is, in both those instances, in this performance, he does these long, methodical stares, and then he speaks slowly with a lot of pauses, and they're just intimidating pauses. And they, it's a, it's, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, it's a Canadian project. I remember it, it actually showed Toronto. Up, it was so yeah. weird. It took me a while to realize it was Toronto. Yeah, and I saw it, uh, I think Theater A played it here in Evansville, and I just remember coming out of that going, wow, that was a really tight, cool thriller that everybody needs to see okay you mentioned red rocket uh what i want to do is i want to jump around um so every year disclaimer um we evansville we miss out some movies so uh i haven't made my list of what i didn't see do you guys have the list of what you guys didn't see I, I, this is what i was reading off the bottom here go ahead what it would what did you not see and i'll just try to add it chime in on, on. pig okay licorice pizza uh, we, oh, none of us have seen licorice pizza uh cyrano the Hand of God, Coda, La- Lost Daughter. I've seen Coda. I've seen Lost Daughter. Smith and I've seen Lost Daughter. The Tinder Bar. T- no one. Uh, Tinder Bar is supposed to come up on Prime like in a week. But it, it, it's already been the theaters. Uh, yeah, the, and it didn't come here. Has it? Yeah. Yeah, it came up on uh, why, Christmas. I wonder why they passed. You had the trailer up for it. It yeah, went up on Christmas. But you yeah, know, know how that goes. Drive my car. Drive my car. None of us seen Drive my car. The Velvet Underground. It was so close to seeing that. It's I thought Disney. you saw that. It's yeah. on uh, Apple. Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, Titan E, Annette. Titan was the one I thought was going to be uh, uh, really excited. I thought it would be really high on my list if I seen it. Uh, Souvenir Part 2, Bergman Island, The Story of Film, A New Generation, Tick, Tick, Boom, Benedetta, Benedetta, 
It's only see Benedetta. It's on VOD right now. The Power of the Dog, The Electrical Life of uh, Louis Wayne, Come On, Come On, and Memori- Memoria. Smith, you have about a top 20-ish. Roughly. Okay. I have a top 20-ish. My, my, actually, I have a top 50, but my lists are, ever since Letterboxd came up, I just put everything in order of preference, and I think 20 is a good stopping point for me. But, Ted, you decided to do your own Oscar comp nominee comp well, category. I wouldn't say Oscars, more like the, the Teddies or something. I don't know. Yeah, the Ted Mans. Oh, I, uh, would, I, would, I would definitely brand it something around you. Uh, but it's The uh, Ted Boys. I, well, yeah, and it has to deal with this disclaimer. Living in Evansville, it is just the, it's it's hard being a die uh, a hardcore cine east, and uh, and want to see all these great films that you read about in sight and sound and everything. Now, of course, streaming has helped uh, modify that a lot. We should we should definitely make the disclaimer because the top ten lists, or I think we talked about this last year on this, where they're just that weird. They're press generated. Uh, before the pro- we were talking about the difference between U.S. and U.K. release dates, uh, festival release dates versus actual theatrical release dates. Whether a shelled film that was supposed to come out in 2019 or 2020 is going to, is release date in 2021. A pandemic really made a mess of that too. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, like Sean Baker, I mean, uh, we mentioned earlier, I uh, uh, Tangerine, was it Tangerine? Uh-huh. That was that was that was when it came out. Wasn't it a big top ten film or a lot of people? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that's still one I haven't got around to because it didn't come in Evansville back in the day, and and then I just haven't caught up to it yet. Yeah, so it, was on, the, it, it might still be on Netflix. It was a uh, it's on the uh, it was on a Netflix stable for a while, hmm. but um, but let's go ahead uh, start Ted. Uh, how many categories do you have? Do you know? I didn't count them up, but I'll, we'll try to zip through them. Why don't, why don't you do uh, three for now? Three for now. You do your first three. Okay, I think it's not what I did. Basically, I went through my film journal, which is a it's, it's my paper version of the letterbox. If you ever want to see what movies I watch there on letterbox, and I just went through everything that I saw in twenty twenty one and made these these are the ones I wanted to make an observation about. So uh, that said, uh, the best in credit tag. Okay, um, and the, uh, I'm going I'm to butcher this name, but it's the Mauritanian. It's still the Mauritanian. Mauritanian. There you go. Jodie Foster about a guy uh, that was uh, put in the Gitmo for uh, and, and he wasn't really guilty. And I'm sorry, Shane, we're going to have to do this, but we're bringing Bob Dylan into the conversation early. <laughs> and I am a commit committed to good audio quality. Otherwise, I was going to bang my head against the microphone. Uh, so uh, you, it's typical of these biofilms nowadays, every, almost to a fault. Every fe- uh, uh, feature film, biofilm always ends in the credit in credits with the, the pictures of the real person. And like you know where they are now, or other or uh, uh, variant uh, various shots, and this shows him like getting married and how what happened to him once he got released from prison. But there's one sequence he, he just I don't know he, and they stuck it in here and I can see why. Uh, he says he's at a desk in an office somewhere. He starts a tape or uh, iPod or something, and starts playing Bob Dylan's "The Man and Me." And if you might remember from the Big Lebowski, is the opening credit song of the Big Lebowski, and he just goes, "Ah, oh. that's the song." Yeah. The man and me, uh, yeah, that's uh, the man. But, and but me. that's the one that tear jerk gave you a tearjerker moment. Yeah, because it's watching him listening to it, and he uh, he goes, "Oh, Bob Dylan," and he starts singing, and he'll like emphasize phrases like, you know, and I'm not a machine. And I just sat there after you've been through this whole ordeal with him, 
and he comes out and he just puts the, the joy of a Bob Dylan song. Let, let me let me ask you this, Ted. If someone were to film someone listening to Blood on the Tracks for an hour, <laughs> how would you react to that? Probably, but I'm just saying if he had put that a band board. That sounds pretty great. He, Let's, we should work on that. I should, I should, I should. I, I think. Man cries at Blood on Tracks. <laughs> Ted cries during Blood on oh, the no, Tracks. Oh no, a simple twist of fate's coming up. Uh, yeah. Just add an audio track of. You know, too. Oh no, that's all it is. You're just gonna hear the headphones <laughs> barely. You're not gonna openly. You're not gonna hear the album. You're just gonna barely hear the album through the headphones. But I mean, you could have been listening to something from Van Morrison or Joni Mitchell or anything, and I probably would have got teary eyed over it. Or uh, it, 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 it just the joy. Okay, know, the, the, the con- uh, another version of this: a biopic listening to a song you like. A biopic ends with a real subject listening to a song you like. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I'm just saying it. Just it really uh, trust me. I think it's an, we're, exploder, we're, you might exploder. not be as moved as I am. We are being reductive about this. I, you might not be as moved as I am, but I think you'll see the sweetness and the joy in this little sequence, and it's the end credits. Smith, I, I was, do think, though, it's because you have a built-in uh, relationship with the Dylan oh, yeah, and, and that album. So it's like, it's Man and Me, obviously, as Dylan fans, we know it's kind of overplayed, mostly because of Big Lebowski. But New Morning's a great record. Well, see, she didn't know, realize it was Big Lebowski. I think he, he, I, I would know I didn't recognize. When I was in Big Lebowski, I just didn't put title with song. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't. That's why when I recognized the song, I was like, "That's that's not a sad song." It, it's, I know it's not a sad song, and it's a song that nobody would have. Uh, uh, it's a song that never would have gotten attention. I, it was, it wasn't. I listen. I listened recently to a podcast with David Chase. Uh, we've done multiple episodes. I feel like now on the Sopranos or David Chase, uh, but. Um, he was talking about there's a usage of Dylan in the final episode of Sopranos and he's talking about it. And uh, Michael Imperioli who's hosting the podcast says like, Oh, that's such one of my favorite scenes of the whole show. And David Chase is like, well, you just put Bob Dylan over anything. It's going to have an effect. <laughs> okay. Amen to that. Um, Smith. I did want to point out, we're going to be on both of our lists. My favorite, uh, maybe not tag, but credit sequence or one that like got emotion out of me is Mitchell's versus the machines. They have the cool thing where um, it's a, you know, embarrassed by your family movie. And so the credits come up and it's all the fo- family photos as children of the crew, the cast and crew. Yeah. And- I, I wasn't expecting that type of emotion. And of course, you know, we're trained from these Pixar films. They can really, you know, you can react with them and they can touch you in a way that it, it, any type of film, you know, an animated film, you can get that same reaction from from any standard film as well. So that one worked just as well for me uh, emotionally. And uh, it was surprising because I thought that had been shelved. I know it had been shelved twice. Uh, and when it came back, I you know, I wondered if, you know, the student because some other studios like with Luca and uh, several of these other animated films that played this year that were in the can, you know, the, the studios held on to them because they had a lot of money invested and certainly they felt like this could perform well. Even Clifford and, and Tom and Jerry, which are not good films, they held on to the, the studios held on to those later and, and actually had a theatrical release. Uh, Mitchell's versus Machines didn't get that. And uh, you got, I, Sony sold it to Netflix. Right. Well, but I think that was actually second wave when they sold it to Netflix because it was shelved for pandemic. And then it had a post pandemic release date uh, as its original title and then got sold to Netflix. We're, we're going to definitely talk more about because uh, it's on both of our lists, especially the animation style. But um, did you see Encanto? 
Yes, it was also great. That I, was probably, I, I do still want to see that too. Yeah, it's really great. Um, you know, Disney, honestly, and you know, credit where it's due, I realize they own everything, but they're on another, you know, like mini run, like they had their second wave with uh, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and you know, where the, the, the quality is this, of their animated. Is this post Frozen or like more recent? Absolutely. Years? But then, you know, obviously Big Hero 6, you know, there's been several of the, of the Disney studios, not just. And I know a lot of people want to lump in Pixar now with Disney Studios animation. No, because, I, I would keep them separate. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of you know the post, people that the are post working last for both ones are the are the, the the outliers, I think. But Disney is actually making some really solid work, and Encanto is very very good. Uh, I'm Manuel Miranda is going to come up in this episode a few times too. <laughs> a couple but. times. Ted, your your next category, um, meaningless film of the year. Why and uh, why are we, why are we doing this? Uh, I, I it, because um, you'll see we're, why. We're, we're just we're just we're just telling someone not to put creativity out in the world. No, no. I mean, I just for me it was just like after I saw it's just like eh, okay, did we really need it? Go, go ahead, say it, and then, and then we'll Zach react. Snyder's Justice League. Did we really need that? Okay, but you got you got a reaction out of you, didn't it? Uh, you you saw both versions, right? Yeah, and I didn't mind the Whedon one. I mean, but I didn't. The Snyder didn't, version was an improvement. No, you did what? not think it, oh, you did not think the Snyder on. one was a. I just thought it was apples and oranges. Okay, that's that's not unfair. I can see that because there's stuff in there. There's stuff. I mean, no, no. I think the Snyder one significantly. It's just more coherent, and even as 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 kind of stupid as it could be it's still it's well it it's, just gets you get the yeah i mean in terms of coherent you get the they you get a singular they're, vision they're, on it they're doing what they should have done in single films building up to you know the justice league film uh they're still but they're still compacting everything into that you but know? you were you're basically a uh don't release the snyder cut hashtag no, no 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 not at all not at all and i i watched it i bought the i got the blu-ray i mean you know was I, that a needless purchase ted <laughs> well most of my my, if my parents were alive, they'd say yes. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I'm certain if the Snyder Cut comes out first, there's not going to be a campaign to release the Whedon version. Oh, yeah, no. Well, there was no written there. there Joss would never have uh, been hired. To... Well, the, the Whedon one's just kind of uh, um, like an unfortunate, like it, it seems like no too many cooks, no one was happy with the, the final Right, version. right. And I just, you know, I just, uh, but I mean, and I'm not, you know, and Shane, come on, you know, I, I'm probably the most non-negative person when it comes to cinema. I mean, I remember somebody, you know, I, I, can't, I can't give black and white answers to usually people ask me after I see something. Usually it's like, well, then, you know, I, Aaron, the, you, you always talk about No, that. I, I agree. I think yeah. Ted is the, one of the people that I always use an example because even if he watches a film that he really didn't enjoy, he will come out and tell me, you know, I really like the costume design. He will always find something positive about even in poor films. I think it might be interesting to, to do, to make Ted do a worst 10 list. <laughs> Oh my god! That's a great idea. With. Actually, I, 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 not to contradict myself, my oldest Ted story about movie watching is you coming out. I won't say the movie, but you came out and you were just like it was a terrible movie, and you were just like that was so bad. But the DVD is going to come out, and there's some interesting stuff in there, so I'm going to have to buy the DVD. Then I'm going to have to watch the extras, and I'm probably going to have to watch the movie again itself. 
know exactly which movie it is. <laughs> All right, Ted, what was the next one? Guy Ritchie doing Michael Mann uh, this year. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Wrath of Man. I've caught up. I've, I, I've missed a couple more. I've kind of been behind on Guy Ritchie, but uh, I... Uh, uh, Smith, you've been behind on Guy Ritchie too? No, I'm right there with the Guy Ritchie. You watched the Aladdin? I, was, I, I, I didn't. I did watch the Aladdin. I, I would like to bring up I Have Children. So. <laughs> Which went to our animation talk. And there was, and then there was the King Arthur one, right? Which I have King seen. Arthur one, like I think you, you and I talked about this on an episode of beginning of the year after we all saw it together, and I was just like, he made a King Arthur, and mm-hmm. I was like, I knew about it, but Charlie Hunnan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but and then I did, I, I missed the gentleman. It, it came right right before the pandemic hit, sucked in, and I was planning to see it, and then all of a sudden everything blew up. We came oh. back and played for months afterwards because there was no new product. You had every opportunity. You call this his Michael Mann movie, but isn't it just that there's a car-based bank heist in the middle of downtown LA? Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, but I do, I think uh, it's, he's not doing the cinematic gymnastics that he usually does, like the Sherlock Holmes films and uh, some of this earlier stuff where, you know, you could tell this is a Guy Ritchie film. And this one, I thought he was tamping himself down and making it more... Uh, I don't know, just uh, more methodical. I don't know that doesn't make sense, but it just didn't seem that the exuberance that he usually brings to a lot of his projects. I think he was keeping that in check and, and made a really good film. I, I And again, shows me, I think Jason Statham is his is, Charles Bronson. Is our Charles Bronson of our era. He's in a good film. He's great. And uh, he puts, puts some of the good use. Uh, and uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. But it, okay, the next one is, Aaron, I think you might find this interesting, Overlook Indie. Uh, together, together. Played at a show place, and I, I didn't. It's a film I halfway didn't want to expect to be here. And it's on uh, Hulu now, I believe. And it's just uh, no big stars. And uh, well, but Ed Helms is kind of a big star. I uh, think everyone knows who that is. The well, Office that, is probably the most popular television show. I think right now for sure. Yeah. So the, I mean, people know who that is, but uh, no one came to see it, and I think it was because it just got released at an odd time. Plus, it's it's kind of a hard sell because it is it's very sweet and it's quaint and it's charming, and I don't know if audiences necessarily react to that type of thing. And, and maybe, but it was slightly really... controversial, maybe just in how you handle that situation. And uh, but I, I did like the fact that they, uh, uh, with your showing, they had a really cool interview, uh, like an extra feature on DVD after the show. Where they interviewed the actors and the director, and it was fun. Well, this goes into the, I think, what we were saying earlier, this is a 2020 Sundance movie. Mm. I think it was supposed to come out a few months after that. It's like, been around a while, and I know when it got released, uh, there were no other films on either side of it. So I think that it just fell directly in the middle of the pandemic. And so it really got overlooked. But I, tr- anyone that would listen, I tried to convince them to at least check it out because hmm. I, I, I mean, and it. I still think it's, it. it's in my top 10 of the year. I've really, really enjoyed it. It, it reminds, it, it's just one of those comedies like the big sick or the best Apatow films where Jeez. it's got a heart to it. Uh, and, and just really funny. It's just okay. really funny at parts and super charming. There's some issues to deal to think about too. Some issues yeah, in, in real life, you know. Speaking of your top 10, do you want to start on your top 20? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Boy. Don't look up. I was. Uh, it took me a little while to understand that it was going to be broad. I was expecting it to be, you know, honestly, I don't know why I had expectations. I I, I mean, you know how, the, we're not spoiling anything out of the end. I think, like, Hank Corwin's an amazing editor. I had worked briefly with him in the past, and he's... The ending is some amazing film. It's really affecting. It really got to me, the ending. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys liked it as well. I know that, that we disagreed on several of these films that came out this year. Some of these I liked a little more than you guys did. Some of these I don't even know if you guys bothered to see. Okay. But I'm glad that we all liked that one because it was... And you know what? It wasn't I, I, that I, I didn't like have ending. problems with it. I like the ending. I didn't necessarily feel like either of the leads were extraordinary, although I love both of those guys. I think Jonah Hill is is one of my favorite actors he's Mark always so is pretty fun. amazing in it yeah yeah absolutely and it's hard honestly for for leo and jennifer lawrence to to kind of carry that movie because i don't necessarily know if it's about them you know it's it's almost it, it, obviously if you've seen the movie you know what i'm saying but it's unfortunate that you you put that on their shoulders because they don't really have to carry it you know it's or at least that's that's the way I looked at it. Okay. But yeah, the ending I think is strong. Uh, it just took me a little while to kind of get into, uh, you know, the, the pacing of it. And of course it just seemed a little, a little dumb initially, but it's supposed to be Dr. Strange Love, I think is what a well, lot of people Well, I was going to say, I wanted, I wanted to bring that up because I, I, my first reaction, one of my first reactions was, oh, this is the Dr. Strange Love for our generation. I think it's, it's trying to be the Dr. Uh, Strange Love. But, but obviously he, Adam McKay is not Stanley Kubrick. Uh, and, well, uh, Adam McKay's bread and butter is dealing with dumb people. Yeah, like, so so it's hard for him to have a like you, you, like you said, broad is probably what he's going. But I was about. glad to see a lot of uh, Aaron brought it up, and a lot of people on social network, uh, social media, are saying uh, are mentioning Doctor Strangelove, which is cool because that's just one of the greatest films of all time. Period. And so I get that back into the as long as a good film references another good film, and oh, people yeah. get that. So yeah, I loved. Um... The House of Gucci, um, Last Duel, Rich Scott double duel feature. Them. I'm just gonna put those two together. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, really they, just... neither one of them did extraordinarily well. I think uh, we did. We our duelist episode double as a last duel episode. I think the guy behind this, uh, I can't. I'm, I'm not gonna try his name, but the guy behind Gold Ninja Video. I was reading something on Letterbox. He does these little mini reviews, and he says, "Oh, I think you know, Ridley Scott just gets up in the morning, drinks a little wine, takes, smokes a cigar, goes, I think I'll make a movie today.'" <laughs> Goes out and does a, you know, and makes a movie that it's it's solid. He works, yeah. uh, and and both of these films uh, work very well. Uh, it's unfortunate the Last Duel got overlooked, and I, and you know I listened to that Mark Maron episode where he kind of bitches I about millennials. One, yeah. That's out of context. I almost feel like he doesn't really hammer that point. I think that you know. He's a working yeah, filmmaker. Some really, really Scott well. seems like someone like some, when he does interviews. He, do you, have you seen that clip where someone talks about it's a, he's, he's interviewed by a French a French interviewer and he, the guy's just like some of your movies are uh, not as realistic and really Scott and it's like over a Zoom thing and really Scott just kind of runs guys like sir you could fuck off you you, you could fuck <laughs> off and he just keeps saying well over you know yeah I just the other day I, I just came, stumbled across a Hollywood Reporter uh, video. It was one uh, the year that uh, Hateful Eight was up, and mm-hmm. and he had and he had I don't know what it really had out. Oh, the uh, Martian, the, the Martian, and they have a round table, and, and Danny Bowl was there, and sorry, David O. Russell, he's there, you know, and they're all sitting around the table, and it looks of all the people sitting there, they're all smiling and getting into it, and really like it looks like I don't want to be here. <laughs> just thinking, he's got this look on his face, like. Uh, you know, why am I bothered with all this? But you know, it's just that's just Ridley, you know. I just want to make another movie. Yeah, I'm gonna just smoke a cigar and do another movie. Yeah, and good for him. I'm glad that he's still getting the work. And I and I hope that um House of Gucci does well enough that you know he can keep coming. Oh, he's gonna keep I think he'll keep going. But I mean you you are the, the performances were also something that like I mean, because I, I I was seeing like I was surprised whenever the movie came out that um 
you didn't expect this from Affleck and Damon. They're the best parts, but they, like, well, the, all four leads in Last Duel, and I think uh, obviously you get one of the same actors in House of Gucci. But I mean, he's just capturing great performances from every. And of course, honestly, at this point in his career, Adam Driver and Jodie Comer and any any working actor right now, if Ridley Scott sh- calls you or sends you a text, yeah. you're, you're going to clear your schedule. So you know, I they mean, just announced Jodie Comer is out of is a Napoleon. I saw movie. fell out of that Napoleon. That, yeah, that's unfortunate. But I thought the the four leads in Last Duel uh, were extraordinary. That Adam was, Driver in particular is, I, I think, just one of our. And there's another movie, movie referencing another movie, Rashomon. You know, there's a Rashomon yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's see, that's two, three. The Night House, which I thought was, I saw uh, Night House. Really nice little thriller. I don't know if it's a horror film. I, was I know the fence on that. I couldn't tell if that was going to be well, they one of those good horror films or just some churn that's out. That's the problem. That Rebecca they, Hall. They though. market that's it as what, a horror film, Rebecca and it Hall turns off some people that don't necessarily gravitate toward mainstream horror films and it wasn't really that at all it's it's really more of a thriller mm. mystery thriller. I, I, yeah. I think rebecca hall's good just choosing thoughtful roles so that's, what, see, that's what that's exactly why i thought i better pay attention to this did you guys see passing i, I want to see that too it's, on okay. My list. it's okay and uh let's see where we are last night in soho i think you probably liked it more than i did i know he didn't really care for it I don't think it's satisfying overall. I don't, uh, but I do think it starts off very strong. And then when you get that first psychedelic sequence, which I think you pointed out, that's when the... Well, yeah, it's so cool because like it's center channeled up until that point, And I was just one of those like cinemas back because the surrounds come in when they, go, they have their Wizard of Oz moment goes back in time. Well, that was really great. Up and, and you know, it isn't as if it completely just goes off the rails. It just isn't quite as strong after that. But I, I think that uh, Thomas and McKenzie, either way, she's in Last Night in Soho and in another film that I really enjoyed this year. Uh, she's terrific. Uh, I thought that she was probably one of the things I liked most about the movie. And I like Anya Taylor-Joy too, but Thomas and McKenzie really kind of steals the show. I, um, I My thing is that I think we're going to look back on this and without the hype that you normally have for an Edgar Wright movie, I think we're going to appreciate this movie more in years to come. Well, uh, I don't I, think that I like Baby Driver any more than I did at the time. I don't know if that's I'm I'm, I'm the same with Baby Driver. This one, I think last night in Soho, people are going to appreciate more as a good time goes you go, Of course, you got. I see. I, I, I got. You know, I'm sucker. You know, he puts Terrence Stamp in there. He puts Rita Touchingham in there. The needle drops are just me. And and Diana Rigg's last performance. Diana Rigg is is and, really great in the movie. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, it, I just I you know a little bit of me is uh, this sort of like. Uh, Peter Jackson doing King Kong or a few other uh, with the, the or, or Del Toro. It's going to come up here in a bit. They mm-hmm. they love they love the subject matter and they're so they're such a fanboy about it that they they get lost in, in the final well, product. I've heard you use the term strangle it. Yeah, they strangle it to death. Or they and, smother it and they smother it. Yeah, to it's there's no life in it. I, I but I agree. With it. I I may I I, I definitely I'll buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. I'll definitely check it out again. And uh, maybe I'll uh, do 180 on it. I was a little bit, I was on the, I was back and forth wavering on it, you know. I'm going to start on my number 20. Uh, no set of moves, Steven Soderbergh. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I. I wish uh, I'm, I'm getting frustrated with Steven. I mean, good for him. He's he's out there doing all the work. 
I don't. I don't understand this logic. I, I, You're mad because he's putting stuff on streamers. I, I just don't have the streaming it's services. More, oh, that's the problem. Well, that's the problem. That's not him putting on the streamers know, is not the problem. But I, I just I want to see the films on the big screen. I love Soderbergh. I want to you know. Soderbergh has said over and over and over, content is is bigger than format or. Uh, well, that's true. Well, that's, that's so true to me because I'm the one who watches. I don't. I don't get. Uh, I don't do all the bills and whistles on my uh, my audio systems and everything mm-hmm. like some people do. He's uh, pointing at me. No, I've. Not, 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 I know some other people I would mention, okay. but uh, but I I love having. I I love my libraries. I love the hard copies, and I want to have a complete Soderbergh on my shelf. And if, he, if well, and, maybe and, there's gonna be a Netflix thing where like uh, uh, all these come into Criterion. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, Soderbergh has his Criterions, but um, this um, crime movie in Detroit. Um, there's um, it's uniquely shot. In fact, it's like one of the most intensively wide angle shot movies in a while. It's got a stellar cast to it. This is the Don Cheadle one, right? Yeah, Vincent yeah, right. Del Toro. Um, yeah, it's got a lot going in it. Uh, number 19, which uh, I think is going to be on Smith's li- high up on Smith's list, so I don't want to steal too much. We don't need to go too into it, but Summer of Soul. Uh, number 18, which I saw at the drive-in, and I had never seen the original all the way through, but uh, I enjoyed the retake of this it, fine. Number 18, Candyman. I th- I'm glad you like that. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really care for it that much. I, I also don't really care for the original, but I think seeing that at the drive-in is a real good combination and also seeing that double feature. So I think maybe the experience probably kind of colors how you feel I about think, the film. I think the turn, because I mean, like I forgot, like the first one is a, is a Clyde Barker thing. And this one, just like the, the um, racial justice uh, component is pretty intriguing do they do a needle drop of sammy davis jr singing the candy man i don't think so you didn't see candy man no oh uh my number 17 we did an episode on for mad men only the stories of del close just a um i mean this it's it's a great dog i think the subject is is mainly but i mean the, the doc handles the subject a controversial subject well too because del close rubbed a lot of people wrong yeah, but he's also still held in super high regard. So, I mean, but I actually think that uh, that was a great episode of your podcast. I, I enjoyed the subject matter, but I also enjoyed getting to hear an old friend, uh, Dustin Lavelle. Dustin Lavelle's yeah. on that one. Yeah, it's it's, it's an improv, improv deep dive, right? And number 16, The Many Saints of Newark. Which came and went, and nobody saw it. Uh, well, I mean, Shane saw it, and you and I did not. Yeah, so, I mean, what? and you, Sarah, and you said it was, uh, I was talking to you earlier about that. It was like, a, it only it did get, it did its two-week run. It did about two nobody... weeks exclusively, and it was, I honestly, I expected, and I know the projections were for 10 to 15 million, and I, it just didn't get anywhere near that. And I don't, I don't think that's pandemic related. I think people just didn't come out. Or, but it also maybe fell on the HBO Max issue. That's but, true, yeah. but that didn't affect some other features, like for instance, Tom and Jerry or uh, Dune, which did well domestically. There was no rhyme or reason what did and didn't do well no. on the HBO Max. Thing I just, I just remember, I think, like. I just remember thinking it got it was, it's Sopranos, and David Chase, it's got a lot of hype. Uh, I have, I've got time to see it. And then by the time I was thinking, I need this, what do I need to go see in the theater? And it was gone. I was yeah. like, well, crap. And I you, wanna... you know, one of the funniest things about this is, um, I think the original reaction was that, oh, it's an interesting prequel to Sopranos, but I really want you two to see it because I think more common reactions, like it's just a decent gangster movie. In fact, like some of the ways it was, some people really loved and hated the way it, it tied in with the series. Well, I would, I would, I would expect David Chase to do it in such a way that it would play on its own. I mean, he's just too supportive of a, 
creative. Oh, it totally plays on its own. Yeah. It totally plays so on its own. I, I mean, I had no problem uh, th- expecting, uh, th- not expecting that or expecting that. I just, I just, I just David Chase, as you know, I'm just the hugest fan of Not Fade Away, a film that seems like nobody knows about still to this day. We did an episode yeah, on it, Ted. Yeah. Might, Don't you, know? you think, though, you are a Sopranos fan. You've seen every episode of the show. Neither Ted or I have seen that. And maybe we were reticent to seek this out or go and see it initially because, or at least for me, I felt like even though I knew it was a prequel, that without having been You may have put your finger on it. why it maybe didn't do as well, just because it was clearly designed to be for people who haven't seen the show. Yeah. I mean, I watched it with a, a big Sopranos fan and I guffawed in kind of a performative way because I was like, I got that. That's from the show. <laughs> that joke and, was for me. <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, actually, that's pretty obvious what they did there. So, Ted, you ready to read some more of your categories? Sure. Next in line. Uh, most insightful. Okay, again, some of these are tongue in cheek. Some of these are very uh, serious. Some are just random thoughts. And some of them I can't have had a hard time to title them. But it's most insightful documentary. In other words, I saw a couple documentaries. We love documentaries. We see a lot of them. Even even a mediocre or a half a half baked documentary are enjoyable to watch. Right. You get to see clips and whatever. Thing. A good premise can set take you so far too. Right. So the two I saw was the Spark Brothers and Summer of Soul. Saw Spark Brothers at Showplace, Summer of Soul at AMC. Uh, two things that, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this. I knew about the Spark Brothers. Uh, they were especially, they they are in the Valley. Sparks. Sparks, I'm sorry. In the Valley Girl soundtrack. And, and I go back to that and some other things. I always thought they were English. And uh, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. And, uh, and then the Summer of Soul, that footage, just unbelievable footage of such a ri- wide range of uh, uh of uh, black artists are just, just wonderful. I want to use Sparks Brothers documentary. First off, I, I liked Edgar Wright's joy. I like, I like any documentary where it's a good Edgar Wright, by the way, I, I, I had no problem with that. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another documentary. Smith, can you think of another one that's trying to sell you on an old artist that like an artist you might've missed out on? Like, um, um, Oh, I, I, well, one I liked, and it's about 2016, 2017, uh, What Happened, Miss Simone? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Miss Simone, I thought that that was uh, similar, but I mean, a, a, a lot more uh, refined. But I think that the difference between the artists is the reason that filmmaking is different in the Sparks Brothers. Their music is so different, and obviously Nina Simone is... Sparks Brothers aggressive in some ways, and Sparks Brothers is really kind of sometimes playful, and I think it's very playful. It's 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 very uh, accomplished, and it's a long ass career. But the approach Edgar Wright takes is like um, this, and you know, it's I mean, they they just never stop. They kept going from the late '60s on, so it's like this album is the best Sparks album. And then four years later, no, this Sparks. So you're, you're and every, and then like the next one is, and like every album is the best. So album. you're hoping that you would like actually. I want a little more honest assessment on like maybe there's an ebb and a flow. Well, you were unfamiliar with all Sparks music, right? You were coming in completely cold. Pretty I, much, I yeah. knew their. I think their debut album is considered. I think by most people, their their most popular. It's it's similar to a lot of that first wave of. Alt rock, seven, late seventies, early eighties. But Aaron, do you agree with what he's saying? Do you do you think every album is a winner? Oh no, and I don't. To be honest, I don't Which know that. Saying, right? I'm familiar with so. one Sparks record, just one, and I know that they have 
you know, multiple albums. I can even buy that there's like a great song on every record too, but like, cause well, it's that's clear. probably true. I think I think you said that about like guided by voices, any prolific. Yeah. 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 Guided by voices is a great example. And like, you just listen to the songs in the dog and they're great, but like, you're just like, okay, but there's also some stuff that'd be a little tiring or teeth. I want to bring up the Sparks brothers documentary to talk about a musical that I didn't fit on my list, but I finally sat through was Annette which is written by Sparks and also has one of our great actors, Adam Driver in it. And he had an extraordinary year where, and well, and some of these obviously sat in the can like last duel that was finished, but he's working. He's a working actor. Annette was hard to get through. And it starts out with, you're not, you're not, well, that director, you're not the the biggest fan of that director. I don't like Holy Motors or as much as everyone else does, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of a, we, we always get to this every year where uh, you see everyone else's top 10 list and you see certain, I'm just going to say Richard Brody's top 10 list. And he tells you like, you get through them and like, there's a certain amount of homework involved with it. And Annette opens with a great song or great opening sequence. And then the rest of it, like Sparks is uh, their playfulness comes with a certain amount of parody of pop music and parodying the uh, pathos of pop music. And so Annette is very, very repetitive. There's a sequence uh, in the middle um, that the lyrics are just we love each other so much. And it goes for like three or four minutes. And it's it, there's some fun stuff in the sequence, but it's just like we love each other so much for four minutes. And getting back to what I, I, your your thing about the documentary, I know that feeling. It's a it's a weird thing to do about especially music criticism in the uh, in the in a film documentary, a film oh, documentary, or just overall. I'm just I'm just approach that approach about it. Oh, this album is winner. This album's a winner. Uh, I mean, like, uh, sorry, I have to get back to use Bob Dylan for an example, but like, knocked out, loaded. You know, pretty much everybody really dumps on the album since it's a bad album. So it has one redeeming song. Under the Red Sky is mine. I think that's the one where, I, and and I don't know what the redeeming song Under the Red Sky is. <laughs> so, uh, but then you want to, but you actually want to get it because Slash and Elton John and George Harrison, all these guys show up on it. Uh, so it's it's where it yeah, is kind of like it's a Soderbergh thing where you you want to have you yeah know, the collection. Complete. But yeah, I agree. I, it is a tricky thing because I. Uh, it's a love letter to the Spark Brothers, so they didn't really pull any punches. I don't want to. I don't want to see you a lot for using that phrase, but love letter has been an overused phrase of marketers lately, mainly directors being like, "It's well, a love letter." Quentin Tarantino once spun in Hollywood. Well, the one I hear is a Villeneuve saying it's a love letter to the cinema. So you're like, oh, so it's a love letter to marketing. It's a love letter to <laughs> yeah, good movies. It's a love letter to I like, like Renaissance Man or Genius. All these things are bad, yeah, they're overused. All right, Ted, what's your next one? Uh, after that is uh, Need to Watch Again. Didn't totally dislike them, but I really need to watch them again because I think I'm going to have a different evaluation, hopefully, of them. Um, In the Heights and West Side Story. If you listen to the last <sighs> episode on West Side Story, you'll hear me and Ted debate on this of why I wholeheartedly think you really need to watch <laughs> West Side Story again. Um, Expectations I, I play I into it again. In the Heights, too. I, I think you should really watch game. that again. I, I think they're both very well done. In the Heights is the weird one here, just because you, you pick two musicals that yeah. are pretty populous musicals, and you think that this is a category for the head scratch, abstract head scratchers or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm baffled. Annette, I would have been more of I need to watch that again. Well, over. see, I have a feeling. Here's the th- here's the weird feeling. My theory is, I'm probably gonna love Annette. Because, oh, because oh, so, I, I can almost get, I can you, almost put an egg timer. On <laughs> hey, it. Well, you know how much I love Holy Motors. I just adore. I don't Holy. think I knew that. Oh, yo, I love that film. You're gonna like Annette, man. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the best sequences ever in a film is that accordion interlude in the middle of Holy Motors. Uh, yeah. 
I would so, recommend don't read reviews of Annette before you yeah. watch it because there is a little bit of a spoiler that every reviewer will mention. I have not read any reviews. I uh, actually I, haven't I, read that spoiler. Or I might have heard me. Have all heard I know it. is what Shane's reaction so far is. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why these two musicals. And uh, what, I'm th- I got a feeling we're going to have to talk about West Side Story more as we. Uh, well, yes, because we I think it's going to appear on someone well, else's we can list. We cover it here too. But I think, you know, if you, if you have an, a problem, you know, interacting with in the heights like you you it you weren't able to you know take it in the first time through you sh- the, the thing with west side story is you knew the soundtrack you knew all the songs by heart yeah. and so that really is your key into it yeah. and and i think the west side story is very digestible uh whereas i think in the heights sometimes you know it, it might take a second viewing I'm but a, I'm west actually... side story was was so good the first time through I, i'm not certain why you as a film fan and even a West Side Story fan, because I know that you, you, you could, like the original. You can listen to our last episode and find out Ted's motivations for not yeah. being trying yeah. to figure it out. I'm actually with you on In the Heights. I got through it. And it's, it's a, it's a, I, I mean, maybe we're not, there's no familiarity with songs, but it's like it's a clear populist musical that should be a winner. And like, I just I, I want to see it again because it was, I, it, I, had, I liked it the first time, too. What's your next one, Ted? Uh, OK, next one is most fun artsy fartsy film. OK. Can you guess what one that is? The uh, uh, showplace at it. Uh, uh, Green Knight. Oh, okay. Artsy fartsy, but fun. I I, I know. Well, it's it's funny just because it's a. I mean, not, I, you, don't think, you don't think fun right off the bat with uh, Green Knight. Right? It's it's a it's a dour movie, but I see what you're saying because there's David Lowry films. It's a filmmaker who films makes films with so much joy. And usually, a lot of times, artsy fartsy films are not genre films. This is be kind of a genre film because it's got. Whatever you know, nights and, and round table and all that kind of stuff, maybe. But uh, it's just uh, I, I thought uh, for uh, something that's kind of highbrow and kind of deep and 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 you know playing with some issues and stuff. But it was fun because of it's, the visual. It's, it's and, playful. Yeah, playful in a way, uh, intellectually playful. How about that? You know, intellectually fun or stylistically so, yeah, playful. So that's what I, that was my next I actually spoke to Shane after he came out of his screening of the Green Knight and I felt like he really didn't uh it didn't enjoy it no was I think you were, you were a little or... let down I thought maybe and I think you said but you looked at me I think at some point uh, and I hadn't seen it yet but you're gonna like it oh yeah no I knew you were gonna <laughs> like it well I'm, I mean I'm talking just about the giant sequence alone yeah. or yeah. um I listened to a podcast where he was talking about uh, his love for Willow and how he wanted to he wanted to do a full blown glass matte painting for this movie. Wow! If he'd had the pre production time, he would have done it. That's the type of stuff. Like you just you gotta love the way that this guy makes movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I'm, I agree with you. I'm not sure I love the movie either, but I I liked uh, just the the environment and the, you know. Uh, another film that it, that came out this year that I think neither of you really cared for that I liked quite a bit was Lamb, and I don't think Isn't it's going to come up on your list. It's it's not. I didn't put it on my list, I and I don't think coming that, up here. I'll, but okay. it's, uh, well, I'll tell you what I thought about it. It's not I... satisfying, I think, as a whole, but I just enjoyed being in that environment, and I also honestly. Uh, it was a nice, crisp, like ninety-five minutes. It was a fairly There's short that. film. There's definitely that. And and, and so I, I think the central creature, the central, the titular character in that is a sight to behold. Like that. There's definitely that, and it's a hypnotic thing.
Ted, you want to do another one? Sure. Um, the okay, I, basically the categories are all made up, but I went to the my journal. These are kind of in the order I saw them in. So that's why they're oh, that's kind of kind of the random. Interesting. These okay. are these films are in chronological order, sort of, in the way I saw them. Okay. Um, the uh, except for some exceptions, but next category, uh, my number one film of the year? Question mark. As I said, I didn't really make a top ten. I haven't made a definitive list in quite a while. And I love the question mark here. Anyway, if I had to make a top ten list right now with a, a gunpoint, the possible number one would be The Card Counter. Paul Schrader, God's Lonely Man, Lean and Mean. Uh, this is Schrader to the bone. And I just, I, I give me more, which I think he's making another one. Well, that's 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 precisely the 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 issue I had was he's literally calling them God's Lonely Man movies now. Yeah. Like so his like next the, one, is, his next one is one. Uh, you like for, that? I don't like it. Starting to make it kind of a, a, a yeah well, a formula, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like but, but, uh, true. It's, but first it, reform uh, was one. I mean, he but does, see, the funny he, thing, he does a, a light sleeper and goes all the way back to Taxi Driver. You have a main character who seems normal, does, who writes narration, has a journal, yeah. and does it in voiceover, and then starts doing shittier things halfway through. That see, that you get, you catch the audience with the half first half, and then you like like disturb the audience how much you're with them with the second half. Okay, but two things on that number uh, if. I don't feel like Card Counter and First Reform, they feel like different films. Even. No, I'll give you that. I'll give so, you that. I think Card Counter is a little so more lighter. As long know. as you can do that and entertain me, that's great. Number one. And number two, look at the, Paul Schrader's up there at age. He's you know he's he's, he's part of the Spielberg, Milius, uh, Coppola age guys. And and I said, let him do the films. Let him just let him do what he wants to do and, and give him the films. You know, sometimes that backfires. Not like De Palma's last couple of films were. Ooh. But uh, uh, Palma hasn't really gotten a shot in the last few years. You yeah. you ever heard that Gene Siskel uh, uh, um, measure of if a movie's good, where he says um, if if a movie is better than say someone made a documentary of the same actors in that movie having lunch together, that's a measure of a movie's good. And I think that way is if Paul Schrader makes a movie <laughs> more entertaining than his Facebook posts. Oh well, that I'm happy. Yeah, well, they're they're pretty entertaining. He got knocked off Facebook as one of his posts. But, oh man, he put yeah. one up. He's put up some this yeah. week that are just kind of. Uh. Oh. Um, Smith, you want to go with your next five? Okay, sure, absolutely. Um, I think uh, the both of you should stop eating Taco Bell or whatever it is you ate before your screaming uh, screening of Nightmare Alley because <laughs> it's a really <laughs> solid film. <laughs> Uh, and I don't think either of you really Taco enjoyed Bell it. Taco Bell has ruined so many movies. Well, I, I'm not sure. And and honestly, I, I mean, maybe it was different day. Maybe you'd have a different perspective. But I thought it was a really solid noir. And, you know, I've talked about this a couple times with each of you individually. Uh, there's a black and white version. I know that that's showing in some major markets. And I know it's a marketing ploy because it didn't really perform well at the box office. But I'm really interested in seeing it in black and white. And that could really only enhance how I felt about it because well, you, I, I thought it was really solid. You'd seen the original. Yeah, but I saw the original, um, I don't want to say 25 years ago, but maybe it was 25 okay. years ago. It's it's really been Shane, a I length saw, of time. I saw it recently. I saw it this year. And I mean, I mean, first reaction was like this movie's... Uh, uh, For 1948, it's amazing. It's oh, it's a great original. But th- this, this remake is 45 minutes longer or, fi- or half hour longer. 
and it's, uh, and it's maybe got maybe more than that. And I think it's like, it's got it's it's got less story in it. It like it, 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 it have the books right. Well, there? You, part, you know, uh, Dertoro and Kim Morgan are saying that it's not a uh, remake. It's, it's, a re, it's a readaptation of the of the book. But the original has more plot in it, uh, and it's shorter. Well, you, it's, Aaron, you remember the pain in my face when you saw me come out of there, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, also, I mean, I was, I mean, literally in pain. We were all. You use the term smother it. after that. Yeah, it, was, it just he smothered the film so tightly. It's 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 it shines. It looks. I should great. make it clear. Guillermo del Toro is a treasure of a filmmaker, and we're lucky we have him. And I want him to make whatever he wants. I to do make. think, in addition to the Taco Bell, I think that uh, expectations yes. were just too high. Yeah. And we, you saw it before me. Both of you did, and both of you were not excited neither of you really had much positive to say about it so when i got to see it i was seeing it through that lens and i yeah, i just sure felt like you. at every step i was like this is really as good as i wanted it to be as, as i expected it to be will will our bad taco bell send us into a multiverse where guillermo del toro doesn't exist and we are have to punish with living in a world without guillermo del toro for having a uh been unhappy with this film i mean is this i mean i uh is this is similar to like crimson peak uh another one that just looks so wonderful and great i I heard someone say the phrase art directed within an inch of its life to a museum level and that's more on crimson peak than this but yeah but what a cast and and just oh i mean just how i it's so well cast, especially when you compare the original. I'm, and I'm thinking of the story. I mean, I, I want to read the real. I want to read the book now. Some at some point. Well, I, I I had a, a friend that um, it was funny because the one sequence in the in the movie that I thought was really legitimately amazing is more towards the end, and I was talking to someone else who had seen it, and they were just like, "Oh, I didn't get to that far. I fell asleep before that point." <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm just I'm very sad. I mean, I'm, I I, I want to. Uh, well, maybe you could put that on your list with West Side Story and In the Heights with something you may want to revisit. Maybe we should go see it when the black and white version inevitably comes out. You think maybe. the black and white's coming here? Man, I hope so. I think that'd be really great. Well, you know, that would be the and the other black, more or less black and white film that came out this year that uh, is on my list. And I'm not sure it would be on Ted. I think it's on Ted's as well. But we just don't have that many black and white films. I know we had Mank last year. There just aren't that many that come out, and I, I always I always think that it's a it's a real treat. That's fair to see a film film. So uh, my next one uh, is Maggie Gyllenhaal's debut, uh, The Lost Daughter. And to use another uh, overused term, I think it's a, a nice little slow burn. Slow. Is, is, it, is, is there a moment where it kicks in? <laughs> fair enough. Isn't no, 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 no. Because I just I I just finished it today, and yeah, I uh, watched it also recently within the last uh, five just, or six. It just days. went up last Friday. Five or six days, yeah. yeah. Last Friday, What's I think so. Day? It took it took me three goes to get through it, and today I read. Uh, yeah, that's was, fair. Again, mentioning Richard Brody, he his review mentioned how he used in a positive way used the word sluggish because it brings <laughs> there out. You go. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was interesting because he talks about how it brings out the literary conceit of the whole thing. And that clearly, like the movie's clearly got a lot of great stuff in it. It was just a push. sluggish is actually great. I actually, I think you could describe it sluggish and not mean that pejoratively, and, and that's yeah, totally fine. Well, like the Jesse Buckley is is amazing in it too, and just the cast she got too. It's it's, it's well, you would just, never when when we discussed look, look it earlier. The bleed, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was I wanted to say how isn't it just amazing when you see these uh, 
when an actor is all, all of a sudden on a hot streak. I right. mean, it comes out of nowhere. And Olivia's like, she's everything and everywhere. Just like at a, like a driver. And she's doing it yeah. with confidence, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when we discussed it earlier, I actually asked you. I was like, I don't, I wasn't even aware, or I, I guess I was, that it was Meg Gyllenhaal's film debut. I believe debut it's her first feature. I, it I don't, seems she's... very refined. Like, and I mean, but obviously, she's been in, in the industry for a long time so you pick up things she wants some awards for a script too it's based on a italian author i think which is why like the literary part comes who's who's been adapted before so what's next the card counter which i also enjoyed quite a bit i always mention that uh obviously oscar isaac extraordinary one of our i'm sure one of our favorite actors really great uh and then of course the the uh the script I, you it's know, I it's very sharp. Scenes from a Marriage this year on HBO was great. And it's a little dour down for some you, people. But you, you, were, you were really taken by Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. I, every time that I, I anyone brings up the, the film, I always bring up Tiffany Haddish because it was very surprising. And I thought when, uh, you know, the film comes out, I see the cast list. It feels like stunt casting. I didn't think that she had... Uh, you knew it, she'd bring a particular type of energy. I did, I, and I actually thought that it might not work, but she's so good, and I don't really think she even brings the Tiffany Haddish you're expecting to the film. Like mm. it's she, her performance is very subdued, just very strong. It, it was. I mentioned this to you before, but Paul Thomas Anderson wants to cast her and stuff, which is always a mark of like someone's ready for drama. Whenever well, like I, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson wants to cast Adam Sandler, you know, you, know, you go through those, uh, you know, periods in certain actors or actresses' careers where they're getting a lot of work and they're the hot actor. And I mean, I think this might be her time. And you know, if she, with several roles, I think she could really become a star. She's really got the chops. I was very very pleased with how well she she worked in that film and i i was actually afraid that it wouldn't but then you know it, with schrader it's like you don't really and like ted said uh, just like some of these other filmmakers this year like with eastwood and cry macho how, how much more work do you are you going to get from schrader how much more work are you going to get from clint eastwood and so the anti-tarantino when, argument of uh we should let these people uh go out and, or uh, keep going until they can't yeah. go anymore i mean you know and there's always exceptions i mean look look at little matt uh, one uh and, and and other filmmakers there's there's as many as have made some really wonky old man movies there's some really good old man movies too yeah that's true uh smith you didn't number yours but do you want to do this one is more? 11 and then i'll have 10 left uh 11 was west side story uh, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I had a really good time with that. Uh, You mentioned on your podcast last two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, it's Ed, about how uh, you felt like the Spielberg version is a lot more visceral. And I mean, that wasn't really what I liked about his version. Uh, I I don't think it necessarily needed to be more visceral. I think that with these beautiful songs, you know, everything's staged correctly. I like that Rita Moreno kind of plays an alternate version of a different character in the that, original. That part's amazing, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't necessarily need it to be, uh, you know, a little more violent, but I was okay with that. I, but that wasn't... Uh, see, I, I, uh, the one of the phrases I didn't use from last week, that or the last episode that I really regretted, is that Spielberg's camera in all of his filmography, in his entire filmography, dances. 
it just moves in a way it's 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 a partner with the subjects in its frame in a really interesting way and so it just made so much sense that he would uh do a musical and so and and we can talk a little bit more about this one because this is gonna come up on my list uh but the violence I don't know further I get away from it, the more I'm like, no, this was needed just because you didn't do that Jerome Robbins dance violence mm. that feels play acted. And like, or I didn't mention this in the last episode, the stabbing in the heart is, I mean, it didn't need to be more visceral Spoiler. necessarily, but it, it, that is a visceral moment. Yeah. I, I don't know. I actually, you know, anytime that you'd have uh, a musical that seems realistic in areas and then also you know you just have it's a dance if you will yeah i don't i to be honest i know that you probably revisited uh the original i did right before but i right haven't right i, I have seen it but it's it's been a while so maybe you know my perception will be slightly different otherwise and i'm not saying obviously it's 11th on my list so i really really like the film but uh, and I wonder if maybe we liked for different reasons. And, and I mean, not that that's that's a problem. But isn't I, that a sign of a rich film? It really is. Absolutely. And I wonder why our um, associate didn't like it as much as we did. You should check out our episode on uh, <laughs> musical. Or, uh, I've already episode. I've already I've gotten the category to see again. So yeah, I've right. already mentioned that. My number 15 film, uh, Last Night in Soho. Uh, number 14, I think it's going to come up on Smith's list, uh, The French Dispatch. I know that that's you didn't make a traditional list, but where would that be on yours? Did you, did um, you think that You know, I, I, honestly, I, need to, I it's, it probably should be, and I need to see it again. I was a little dozy, and it's uh, it had been put off for so long, and delayed for that's so true. long, and I just thought, and then by the time... It came out. I was just like, uh, I'm ready for the next Anderson film. I mean, it's almost like the trailer. I'd seen the trailer forty thousand times, and like expectations, and it's that you're in Anderson world again, and it was fine, uh, but I just, uh, I don't know. I, it didn't. I didn't do as didn't go down well as well as it did with you two guys. I mean, I, I can understand coming down from Grand Budapest, which I think is one of his best, uh, maybe. But yeah, maybe that's the case maybe. there. Um, number 13 is Shang-Chi, which, uh, we, we I think we're just going to come up on some of your stuff, Ted, but, uh, I, this movie was better than the second time. I'll say this much just because someone had put online that this movie changes every like 20 minutes into a different movie. So like it's weakest stuff as it's opening. It's it turns into a heist movie at a certain point. Then it turns into like a Kung Fu dance movie and it ends as a freaking Miyazaki movie. Well, that's interesting. I just, now I just finally realized it was, we talked. Didn't we talk about this already on the podcast? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, in regards to something, um, you're saying it turns into a different movie every time. My reaction, I've been telling everybody, is how start watching it. Of course, it's not my Shang Chi, Shang Chi, mm-hmm. Doug Minch, Paul Galacy, Shang Chi of the '70s comic book. I knew that going in that they couldn't do that. Right? It's, there's some problem. There's some problems with that. But but it's uh, a we diff- talk about this on our all of the Marvels episode. Oh, you that's, do. that's yeah. it. Maybe that's where we talked about it. Yes. But I, I as I watched it, I like. I kept on going. I like this. Oh, I like this more. I like this more. And so by the end of the film, I was really liking it. 
So I kind of parallels what you're saying. I think you should rewatch it too because it was better in my second viewing. Yeah, I mean the fact that it just you're saying it's like almost like every different movie. So every time I it, think the weakest part is its opening. Yeah. So every time it changes, I was liking it better and liking it better. I mean that's the reaction I had, the initial reaction I had. Yeah. Uh, number twelve, the last duel. Uh, we did an episode on that as I mentioned whenever Smith brought this up. Number eleven, I think he's going to be higher on your list, Smith too. But uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines, which I have not seen. I had to see it a second time to confirm that I liked it as much as I did, and it turns out I did. It, it rewatching actually played really well for me. Uh, I think I've probably seen it three times now, uh, and it's just it, it's the best Pixar movie Pixar hasn't made. <laughs> and, if it, and I know the animation well, style is a little different. The animation style is the uh, more the Spider Verse. Uh, what's it, kind of the hybrid between two to cell two in a 3d animation mm-hmm. but it's also got that hyperactive quality where every different frame can be a different th- addition so something can change and it's not all about consistency it's more about the creativity because the main character is an artist it's a little a more filmmaker. fluid that's the other reason you watch the main film characters where is the streaming netflix hmm. it got bought by, i think we mentioned earlier it got bought, bought, bought by sony and we and you know, obviously it was, it was supposed to be a sony release uh, yeah, it was. Or Sony Classics release. No, no, oh, it's, no. A, it's, it's an animated film. It's, it's Lord Miller. It's Lord the guys Miller that did, did Spider Verse and uh, Le- the first Lego. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good animation. All right, Ted. What's up? What's your next category? Okay, picking up where I left off. Uh, deserves more attention uh, of all the films I saw. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't deserve to go straight to Walmart for sale. Old Henry, which on the podcast. There seems to be a common theme here. Yeah, check check out our Jamie Kirkpatrick open range episode. Uh, yeah, we both watched that like, that movie, the Mullen before our podcast. I just happened to know the editor of that film, which is what you, you're Jamie Kirkpatrick. Yes. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to come up. In, I I'm about to get to my top ten. It's well, going to be in my top ten. Okay, and, and was interesting because he says himself in the podcast, uh, he was as he's working on, it, he goes. He knew that they were probably just going to dump it on Walmart. And he says, well, no, no, the producers were de- designing it, or, or the budgeting it out to be right. something to go. And to he goes, Street. "This, this is much better." And they, and they got it out to some festivals. Yeah, yeah, but it still did. And deservedly so. Okay, this is a weird title uh, for it, but uh, best Bond since OHMSS under Master Secret Service question mark No time to die. I cannot. Um, yeah, uh, and I think we see. Were tra- I, I I don't know if it's the best. I just think it's the most emotional. Yeah, people. A lot of people say that Craig. Uh, most people will say Casino Royale is the better one of all five. Sky, I think uh, Skyfall is probably one of my favorites. I just couldn't. Shane was there. He saw me just going spastic over the whole film, and I was. We did our episode on it, and in the episode itself, <laughs> I try to describe the final moments of the movie, and you and I both choked up. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I might start choking up on that. What you're saying right now? Oh no, we're choking up over them talking about the choking up over the moment that we're choking up. <laughs> But it's just uh, uh, to me, you know, my favorite well, favorite Bond film is Honor Master Secret Service. Obviously, if you listen to the podcast and uh, the uh, the see the references to it and the and the, all the other little Easter eggs that the term everybody uses now, and 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 it's a good it's a good story. It's a good. Uh, it's. Uh, I was thinking about the other day, like just because of, of like a modern Bond, especially oh, oh, Honor Magic Secret Service is one of the few like uh, and one before it were like the best looking ones, but the modern ones have been so. I mean, so ever since Deacons did Skyfall, like they've been them. And there's a sequence at the opening of No Time to Die that like heist at the beginning where like they do that uh, magic hour uh, upside down shot that writes itself up on the side of the building. It's. 
I kind of wanted to watch that sequence. And, and did, it's did, so cool. And didn't I kind of go, ugh, when the motorcycle jumped? Didn't I kind of like... Uh, you it, had a visceral reaction? Yeah, just uh, and just it, it's just uh, really... Uh, and uh, it's always, I'm like, I feel like when uh, such a genre, capital G film, I always feel like, should I... Does this is it, should I put this on a top ten list? You know the whole you know trying to be. Uh, I'm going to give you a spoiler, Ted, uh, as just with your old Henry one. This is in my top ten as well. Wow! So kudos to you, Shane, and I. I, I just I, I adore this film, and uh, uh, it's I think it's, it really ranks high. With well, with genre films, I mean, obviously, when you say Bond, are you uh, you you're going to put superhero films in your top ten? Am I? I, I mean, don't know. you're going to put a science fiction film in your top ten. Yes. So I'm assuming. Uh, no, I just it, it just I feel Spider Man and Dune are both in a top ten. If you made a traditional top ten, there would be several genre films in there. Yeah, I would be. I really would really be curious if I could if I sat down and really Bond make a would solid be in your top, top 10. ten this year for sure. If this, you made a traditional top, that, 10. that's a really I, you know you actually uh, Aaron you're right because I've been known. Remember in the past, I've, I've done top tens, so I've been maverick with it. Yeah. Uh, number one, one year was uh, Apocalypto. Which was extraordinary. Yeah, and another year, I, number one was Serenity. And that was, that was, that was my number that's, one. That's, that's, a that's right favorite. there. Yeah. It's bucking the trend. Right well, there. I think like this year, if you put card counter number one, if you made a traditional top ten, I don't think a lot of people could complain about that not being worthy of that spot. I think this is it's really a very good film. I think this is really stupid. Smith, just because I was thinking of the uh, um, top five argument, top side uh, side one uh, as uh, first song from High Fidelity argument. <laughs> Why don't you pick Smells Like Teen Spirit? Why don't you pick uh, Beethoven? Yeah, I, I think we there all is do a, that there is a methodology 10. to top ten. Lists you know, that we've all we accepted. talked earlier about how being in an, in a not necessarily a small market, but a smaller market, we wind up not necessarily seeing everything. But let's say, for instance, we did live. In New York, instead of this, you know, we're going to make decisions based on our time, what we could see. So we're still not going to be able to see it. Which we're still doing in this market, too. Exactly. And, I mean, you could seek this out. Ted, I know that you know uh, some uh, black market channels where if you wanted a bootleg of something, you could get it. I'm bleeping Uh, all this out. uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But you could. I mean, you could honestly find a way to see most of these films that we haven't been able to see and we, you know, we just choose not to. We're curating our top 10 before we even see any of these films. So to not put genre films on there, I think would be, would kind of be a mistake, but you know, we are are going to try. Nobody wants to have 10 genre films on there. And, and even if Shang-Chi and Black Widow and uh, Suicide Squad were four of your five top favorite movies, you wouldn't put all those in your top 10. Oh man, I didn't put Suicide Squad on my list. That would be high up. Ooh, shit. Whoops. I know. I like Suicide Squad, uh, but I don't think it would be in my top twenty. I, I I did have a good time with it, and with the exception of Spider Man, it would be my favorite superhero in quotes. Uh, I think I would have put it in between Old Henry and uh, Mitchell, maybe behind Mitchell's and the Machines versus the Machines. Really? So it would have been twelve. Well, you had a good time with it then. Oh, I did. Oh, I did too. I thought it was I just. Re- really dumb fun i had a good oh very dumb fun the james gunn's character uh i'm looking forward to peacemaker too but yeah without a doubt ted what's your next one uh we've already kind of uh gone over this one the most baffling artsy fartsy film wham oh (laughs) um i mean that's a good thing i mean it's not it's not i'm not saying i'm that's not i'm not trying to be negative by saying baffling i'm just saying ooh, hit scratcher this is really cool and interesting and it's artsy fartsy but I, I liked it, but I just you thought, did think about it afterwards. Yeah. Though it wasn't that, something that you could just put down when you were finished with it. Later, you were thinking, "Well, that 
I don't know if that comes to a satisfying end of the story. And I know that was Shane's problem with Green Knight too, where you're just like, I don't this the story. I love how is, I don't have to say my criticisms of these. Uh, Smith well, we've talked about these things, yeah, so exactly. I kind of remember that you know having a similar conversation with Green Knight. Lamb, I, think, I feel like I was missing something. You, know, I've talked to other people who made me feel like I think I was just missing something. Well, what's interesting was that night I went in to see it. I thought typically on a on a week night with a film like this, I'll be the only one in there. Even though I wish I want showplace to make money. I'm always glad to be in there by myself because there's no phones, no people talking, no people going, what the heck is this? So, but also these three college what guys. What did that man say? <laughs> yeah, we ain't never been to Venice, Italy, have we? What, are you, uh, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> people talking in the Out background. Loud, and especially with a movie like so. Lamb, if if someone's talking behind you, it's super It looks awful cold there. You can get away with that in Spider-Man. So... Three college guys come in, buy tickets, they go to Lamb. I'm like, oh no, oh no, because I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I guess I'm profiling, but I'm thinking they're gonna get in there. They gotta, you know, eat, drink, and talk. Your age port profiling? I guess I am. I I'm, eat, I'm, drink, I, talk, vape. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, and uh, it was amazing. And they see to the credits, didn't hear a peep out of them. I looked up at him. I said, what do you guys think about this? Go. Man, I'm gonna Google the fuck out of this when I get home. <laughs> you know what's funny is you told this episode on another uh, this story on another episode, oh, and you wouldn't drop an f bomb there. I know, but you I, did now. I had to. Well, that's college guys. I'm profiling them, so <laughs> I don't use that word. I don't think, oh, that's, sorry, the, I don't I, think that's the word you mean. Oh, I know. I don't I, think I, that word means what you think it means. I know. In this regard. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm judgment. I'm being judgmental, maybe or whatever. yeah, a bias. What's, or, what, next next category, Ted. Oh, next category. Okay, how about uh Peter Jackson's new career continues? His new career continues. Uh, the Beatles get back. I put that on there because I know it's not, it's, it's, it's a thing of itself. It's not, it's a, well, I think very distinctly just because the episodes. Yeah. But I, I, after it, it's like, you know, the Hobbits, uh, lovely bones. It's like, I, I've got, it seems like I'd be getting back in gear again. I mean, heavenly creatures is one of my all time favorite films, uh, to see and see him work on this world war one, uh, uh, documentary and then do this. Mm. I think, man, he's found his way. His niche. Maybe he, this is where he needs to start, uh, focusing, most of his career on and doing this kind of stuff. But. Those two films were, I think, you know, were things that he really was interested in doing. Obviously, the Beatles thing—that's his favorite band. Uh, he was really taken with, uh, you know, those films from World War One and and trying to clean that up. And plus, you know, like he said in that uh, podcast that you were referencing earlier when we spoke earlier, his WTF Shane, episode, is that he. Uh, is really interested in technology. And so being able to use new technology to bring these old films and clean them up and make them presentable on a, even a, the largest format is something that's close to his heart. You know, that's really a, 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 a labor of love, a passion to, you know, a, is it a labor of love of his or is it a labor of love of his uh, special effects company that he owns? Well, yeah. Did he sell it? I thought he sold it. They did sell it. They yeah. did sell it. But you know, we've forgotten, you know, this is kind of a throwback to something he did early on in his career it didn't get a theatrical American release. Oh, that's a good call. Uh, it's called like Silver Dog. The Silver. Uh, uh, the, this is a. You're talking about Peter Jackson's Forgotten Silver. Forgotten Silver had to fight it on DVD. It came out on DVD in American market. Uh, I think it was TV. I think it was uh, New Zealand television. Um, and, a, this is a really good call, Ted. And he, it's a whole fabrication of uh, early silent films, the history of early silent films that never existed. But he makes it. If you watched it without knowing it, you go, "Oh, this is real stuff." And it's really, it's really good. Uh, really early on, one of my favorites of his early uh, earlier career. 
So I think this is uh, in continuing that on in a way. Smith, you want to continue on with your list? You are we up to number yeah, ten? Absolutely. I think I am on ten now. Uh, together, together, which I know Ted referenced. Um, it's a really, really nice. I, I, I don't want to say romantic comedy because that just gives you an impression that you shouldn't really get. It's it's just a standard comedy, uh, but it has a lot of heart. Really extraordinarily charming, really great film. I, I, I liked that quite a bit, and it definitely fell between the cracks. I don't know what audience there would be for this movie, but I really liked it. You if, guys if both you, really seem to be pushing it. If, if you have a heart, you like comedies. Last time I checked. You like relationship comedies. Uh, and I mean, uh, number nine, number Belfast. Nine. Number nine. Oh, Belfast. Kenneth yeah. Branagh. I haven't seen Belfast. I want to do before. What? How did you miss that? I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised. I thought it's, it goes to your uh, Many Saints of Newark, where I thought I was going to stay on a lot longer. And I think it's going to come back, obviously, because it's going to get some nominations. But You would expect that. But I mean, I know this year they're trying to uh, actively uh, nominate more mainstream films because they're trying uh, this thing again where they they're never, trying to get they, more viewers. They can never wrangle in the Academy to like do, they, 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 they nominate younger Academy members to do something like this, but it's also more be better with representation too. But I think that, you know, we all agree. Um, I'm sure we do. The Academy Awards is the, the one award show that matters and to try and change things just to get more viewers really seems counterintuitive. I mean, if if you're the classic, if you're the the baseline for everyone to say this, we're going to compare our award show to this one. You you should just do what you do best. And I mean, didn't you and I have the argument about uh, they should go back to five? Of course they should. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. But then of course you don't get Dune. Probably doesn't get a nomination or Spider Man, which I mean, or I don't you, think... or you just make up for just by freaking nominating Dark Knight in the first place. It's still sticking with five. Yes, of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Belfast. Uh, the uh, what did you think about the uh, usage of uh, Van Morrison? Uh, well, I, because... I I love Van Morrison, and so it was. It's not even really a fair question to me, but every and and you know the first couple times Van Morrison's song comes on, I'm like, oh, that's Van, and then I recognize that it's going to be a theme, and then I'm like, I'm in the bag. For was this. Van Morrison the composer of it, or is it just? No, it's it's needle drops, and it, what's so interesting is that it's just uh, his name's on the poster. I think, isn't it? I think yeah, he has a music by credit. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets a composer. I think I don't think there, if there, I, if, I can't remember the instrumental parts. If there's any instrumental parts of it, uh, maybe uh, I'll have to if I watch it again. But the uh, the Van Morrison is just it, it, as opposed to uh, like a, a P.T. Anderson or a Tarantino film. It's just every song is in uh, Van Morrison. I, I probably goes. I'm gonna name drop Bob Dylan again because Bono said like Dylan has a song for every period of your life I'm probably Van does too probably uh, that makes uh, sense and you can just go cherry pick what you can to match the scenes in the Belfast I, I, I can make a little sidebar in Belfast a little sentimental family uh, sidebar and, and I think about Christmas and family and stuff like that um, this there's a scene in Belfast the whole family goes to see well I want to say Kenneth Brown is about my, about my age basically so he's see he's doing stuff in Belfast similar to things that I experienced in Evansville, believe it or not. And one of them was all the whole family went to see Chitty Chitty Bing Bing, and the whole family gets into it. And it's just a joy to see that because my whole family got into it. So I have to drive in, 
And we were so taken by it. And the Sally and Howes, the, the romantic female lead in the film who just recently passed away, she plays a character called Truly Scrumptious. There's a song called Truly Scrumptious. And we made a cake. And, 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 and Dad had it put Truly Scrumptious on the cake when we gave it to Mom one year for her birthday or Christmas or something. So it, I just think that. And, of course, we get to see Kenneth as a little kid uh, read Thor. And as obviously we know, we see at a middle scene because he goes on to direct the first Thor movie. So that's kind of cool. And there's some other really cool little things yeah, that happened in that movie. There was a lot of that, I, you know, uh, and, and bigger issues too. With it, uh, most of it being filmed in black and white, uh, and um, he uses an interesting aspect ratio. I think it's one six six. I, you know, he he's he's reaching for something that, and of course, like you say, you're Kenneth Branagh's age, so you you feel that internally. We're obviously a little bit younger than that, but I think it's still oh, no, plays universal. well. It, it is yeah. absolutely universal. Yeah. I mean, it played just as well for me, and and maybe honestly, I have to be honest. Uh, the way Morrison usage probably <laughs> so they do that. Maybe maybe Shane doesn't like it at all. He's like, I don't know what you guys saw fan? in that film. Oh yeah, okay, oh yeah. Uh, number eight, uh, Mitchell's versus Machines. We've already discussed that. Uh, best we did, well, film. we didn't even talk about the uh, like the the, the me- modern media critique of the the uh, um, uh, Google and Facebook, like. Like the, I mean, from the first trailer alone, I was like, "Holy, that 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 seems like a movie that's not got a finger on the pulse of something." Well, the first trailer I thought was a little zany, like they were yeah, cutting in yeah, yeah, yeah. too many of the uh, of the just gags. Sure, uh, but I mean, you know, you're selling you an expect animated that from a Sony release anyway. You to a, Miller, a modern audience, a general audience, and so. It, but as far as animated films, I thought this was a really good year for animated films. I liked Encanto quite a bit. Uh, Ray and the Last Dragon. There were some other good films, but uh, Mitchell's Versus Machines was, was just really, and, and it has, just as with the best animated films, uh, a child can watch this and enjoy it on just a, a level where it's just, I'm enjoying the gags, the sight gags, the humor of it, the silliness of it. But then it's got so much more. You are for, a parent. For, it, I am it, a parent. But is it that like you said you guys? Uh, so this is the same creative team behind the Spider Verse movie. Uh, they, they're Produ- producing studio producers, director. What? It's producers. always hard to Produ- know what, and I think they're even executive producers. No. So you don't even know. But you you feel they like they showed up on set, yelled at two people, and left. Their fingerprints are all because over I the mean film, I'm so. I'm still I I'm still in, I'm still uh, Spider Man Spider Verse movie. It's still reverberate, bouncing around in my head still to this day. How they're not going to use the word amazing. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're a great animation producer as much as directors. Yeah. I mean, like uh, go back all the way to Clone High. So I need to check. I need to check into this more. Um, yeah, you should. I mean, I know that we all uh, sometimes, and clearly, I watch more animated features than you guys do because I am a parent. But we kind of have blind spots for certain genres. Yeah, if Clifford turned to be a, a, a Citizen well, King of animation, I know, it but I mean, if it did, you'd have to tell me that because I, I was ignoring. Well, that. I will not tell you that. <laughs> but I think it that, is not true. I think Encanto is definitely totally watchable. I, would, I, mean, I do want to see Encanto. Modern Disney done best. It's very solid. I think you would also enjoy that one. And and uh, Lin, Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda. Miranda songs in that as well really very good i think you would enjoy that if you're only going to see a couple i'd, I'd kind of recommend those two uh so i'm at number seven which is malignant uh and i know 
I, I, there are going to be some people that watch that movie and think that, you know, I just, it, it's not a great film and I'm not sure that it is a great film. It's the, Ted, you didn't see it? No, I mean, it's one of those horror films. I was like, uh, well, I, saw, I saw it on HBO Max. I think, I think initially it was like, oh, another horror film. But then I saw a uh, friend Lucas on Facebook see some of the endings just off the rails. And I'm like, ooh, okay, this sounds. And then I, you know, then the director being involved, I thought, okay. Then I, I don't know if I even talked to you, Aaron, about it, but I, I was like, should I go see this in the theater before it's gone? And then by the time it, it was gone, I, I was getting ready to see it, so I'm gonna have to catch up to it. I'll it's go. got such a strong, um, uh, modern giallo slash uh, oh, De Palma That's... thing going for oh. it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Sisters is a real reference for it, but I mean, I. I I thought the film was like kind of nasty towards some of its characters and that um, uh, just, just and, and, and like it's mildly gratuitous at yeah. times, too. Uh, so it's not a perfect film, but I, I thought it was uh, really watchable. And I think part of the reason you didn't get to see it, uh, it was the reason he did see it. And I think HBO Max killed that movie. Mm. Unfortunately, it just didn't do anything at the box office because the people that either wanted to see James Wan movie. They want to see it, a movie called the conjuring. So they're only going to come out for sequels. Uh, and then the, there's another group that just, just so decided to watch that on HBO max instead. So it really just tanked and it was, uh, it's kind of a overlooked gem. I think that if you watched, you know, one mainstream horror film, this movie, because it is a mainstream horror film, but it's, it's kind of a nuts mainstream horror film. You're not going to get, uh, a lot of mainstream horror films that have this level of, of just well, one of my favorite unique. one of my favorite horror film one of my favorite films of the, the, uh, a year ago last year was Possessor that would be in my top ten and so I mean I'm you know, I'm open to that's horror. I don't know if that's mainstream as yeah, much yeah this is I mean there's there's some elements that's mainstream about Possessor but this, this is a this Warner is, Brothers movie this is there's a lot it's it's checking off a lot of boxes mainstream boxes this one is so i think mm. you should definitely check that out if you get an opportunity oh no i'm planning to and this is it would be an odd double feature uh the one i liked uh and this is what one two three four six spider-man no <laughs> way home uh just the second best cinematic experience i had all year i saw it with uh not a huge crowd but a good crowd Ooh, and we all three saw it together in the meantime i've seen parts and pieces and segments dozens of times i got a feeling it works really well sold with out crowds and I, and I actually go in there at times just to see scenes again uh obviously the scenes where the two uh, spoilers sorry spoilers uh, spoilers spoilers where the other two peter parker show up and it plays really really well audiences audibly gasp are just like go Ooh, it giggles. Just, it's funny because so I heard it described fun. as like, as soon as they announced the villains are coming in, you knew this was happening, and yet it still plays as a surprise. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, and, so maybe some people are surprised. And I don't of course, know. yeah, of course, the, the, the most amazing, <laughs> use that word again, the most amazing. Is there thing, the most spectacular? Is there a uh, web of involved? Um, my sister, who has not seen one MCU movie, and I don't think she'd ever wanted to see an MCU movie, she went with the family. I, I had to miss that family outing. I wish I had. I, I wish I had been there. And then I think Aaron, your aunt, and she hasn't seen an MCU movie. She right. took one with the kids, and she hasn't seen like a Sony movie either. I don't yeah. think she probably even knew what Spider Man was or meant. She just so had why, a good time. Yeah, it's a crowd pleaser. Why is this? Again, it's like what is what's the William Goldman? Uh, um, Nobody knows not anything. Anything? Yeah, the thing is, it's like how did 
why this one works and well and you, you've, been, you've been making a big deal about this and i think there's something about um people can infer backstory behind a movie if it's done right or i mean yeah. means, or or it may not be needed even i don't think you need it you you it, there are so many easter eggs for fans that you don't need that to have a cohesive storyline and I think for a general audience, it's just this character goes through these events. There's a heartbreaking message at the end. I had to sell a friend on it saying that in terms of Marvel movies, I was like, this is the best uh, tearjerker ending since uh, Endgame. Well, okay, here's the problem that I have with that, though, for a general audience. The broken necklace. Like, if you don't recognize what the significance of that in that last sequence it's not going to have the same effect as if you did. There are some insular stuff. So there's so many things that I think really make you appreciate that more if you have a lot of the backstory. But apparently it plays just straight across the board without having any sort of backstory about any of these characters, any of the villains, any of of that. It just works for a general audience. Pig was my number six. That's one, two, three, four, five. No, Pig was my number five. So I know that you also like that quite a bit. Um, I don't think Ted has seen that yet. I, I still have to do my... Um, go, go through mine really fast. Uh, Old Henry is number 10. No Time to Die is number 9. Pig is number 8. Fair which enough. I am excited, Ted, for you to see this just because this movie is not what you expect it to be. I was thinking like Dower Nicholas Cage mourning a pig or something like that. And it is not that. Number 7... Um, waiting for you guys' reaction to this. I can move this back and forth. I, I still want to, but for now, this is where it's at. The Matrix Resurrections. Well, I know that Ted thought it was unnecessary, and I don't know if I could disagree <laughs> we, we, with we, it. We, we don't want to root. Ted, Ted still has his. Uh, I'm, no, I'm glad you liked it, but I also think that you were kind of a bigger fan. Of I am a big, the I'm a big Matrix fan. I'm a big Matrix fan. I'm a big apologist for the sequels. I think uh, one of the reasons I've I've said this many times before. One of the things I love about the second sequel is how it inverts the whole the one narrative, the uh, Judeo-Christian Christ thing of the of the first one, and this one's ending does it even better that and i've talked to some friends there's an argument about the meta first half versus the um kind of mythology second half and i still haven't figured out the mix between that the action maybe has been better in the other movies but it's still it's 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 made it's a fun movie about getting older i need to i need to i need to watch it again i, I i'm a big um uh, i'd see the first one again for the first time you said since like 99 since it's the like prime, theater in the theater Jeez. Saw it at the AMC, brought it back uh, as a fan favorite film, and uh, surprised how much I, I really enjoyed it. So I got kind of hyped up for the, this new one. I wanted to watch two and three before it happened, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to get the Animatrix in, watch only part of it. And uh, I was a little dozy uh, that night, and then get my nap in before I go and see that, it. You know what? Yeah. You, you if you were to write a review of something, don't put as a disclaimer at the beginning. I was dozy at the beginning. I know well, that's a big that's a, that know, and that's sometimes it's getting older. Expectations and doziness. Yes, exactly. Uh, my number six was Spider Man, so we just got through that. So. But my next category, uh, biggest disappointment, Nightmare Alley. We talked about that, right? right? And uh, out of uh, here's the out of left field film, especially showing in Evansville was Red Rocket. We talked about we'll that talk off the bat. Uh, really didn't need them. Uh, okay, again with the, the two of them again. The Matrix Resurrection, like we talked about, and then Ghostbusters Afterlife. 
Uh, I, I should say something about Ghostbusters. I need to say something about that. Go ahead. No, I'm with you on the ma- I, the Matrix thing. As much as I'm, I, th- I think uh, I, I brought this up to a friend. I spoil this. I'll spoil this happily. Like the it opens with um, a character saying to someone else in the meta section, um, Warner Media is forcing you to make a sequel to your Matrix trilogy. Like forcing. <laughs> It's a line in the movie, so maybe I yeah. And I, I'm just you know it, it, I'm I don't trying to be negative again. It's just like I did. We really need them. But that said, I enjoyed both of them actually. Okay. Uh, I was entertained by them. But the, here's the Ghostbusters uh, problem. I and I of course I think everybody's bored with my theory what they should have done with the franchise after the first one. I won't go into that. But with this one, they were sort of maybe going something similar to what I I thought they always should do, but. They were going to a whole new aspect with new kids, new generation, kind of a new Ghostbusters for this era and for these kids and this generation. That's cool. But then they had to go rely back on the old tropes of the first two. and Really, when, the first one. First one. That's, that was an issue. And they br- uh, yeah. And then they brought, and when, I, I spoil alert, when the, the, the old guys show up, it's so unspectacular. It's so, it's not even done well. I, you, you you want that moment to just like hit you in the head and go yeah I'm just like uh. you know I had a conversation with my brother and someone else I talked to about this where I gave my like I don't know if I was really sour on it both of them had so much joy from this movie and I yeah, felt like such great. a sourpuss like telling them yeah and I, 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 like I said I, I don't want to be negative about it I just wished my purpose for me personally I wish they had decided to go one way or the other I just but they just they they, they by compromise by going with two kind of, kind of aspects of it, it kind of compromised well, the whole film for me. What I think is interesting, and I've noticed this, is that those of us who like the first two thirds, like the new characters, Paul Rudd character, obviously the kids, uh, and feel like the the conclusion feels a little tacked on, pretty heavy handed. Although it is, I mean, it's fan service, but other than you know, you get to see these guys on the screen busting ghosts again it just felt like a little you know just fan service is exactly what it was but the people that necessarily like that ending felt like it really worked and they really it was brought them a lot of joy probably didn't like the first two thirds they didn't they wanted more of that you think that's the dividing line i do at least the the people that i've talked to it really falls in those two camps People that really like the ending are people that like the 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 setup, most of the setup. Which... I, I'm ambivalent on both camps, but I say like Carrie Coon being in all the movies. And ambivalent, that's I think to me that's why it compromised and hurt it. Speaking of which, it's kind of interesting. You just I just thought of this when you said that. We get when the original Spider Man's show up, it's great. When these guys show up, it's like meh. To me, you know, it's like, yeah, that's both in a Sony movie too. Yeah. It is a little botched, I thought. Well, this gets to... uh, This is maybe another full podcast, but uh, I don't know what fan service means anymore. (laughs) Because it literally is like, are you trying to cumulatively like add up to all the narrative that has come before this and make it satisfying to anyone who's watched all this story? Or or are you playing to member berries and nostalgia bombs? Member berries and nostalgia bombs. Standing behind you, rubbing your shoulders. Remember this? Remember this? Remember Chewbacca? Well, well, it's a funny thing. It's fan service. And I wanted this is what I want to see about Spider-Man a few minutes ago. I got, there was this girl at work and she just could not wrap her head around, you know, Michael Keaton plays Batman two times. And then Val Kimmer goes along. Well, I don't understand. This is a different Batman. I don't understand. And she couldn't understand that this is the same universe same storyline, just they had to get a different actor to play him, but it's the same, you know, narrative going on. 
And just like the James Bond films originally, Roger Moore is basically playing Sean Connery's part. But uh, I don't could... think George Reeves is available for the next <laughs> Superman. So she was really having a problem with that. And I wonder now, I hope she's seen <laughs> Spider-Man and I hope that she can now finally say, oh, we can make this work. And now all the different characters. I wonder, though, if that works for her, this new Spider-Man, because it seems to work for audiences that don't necessarily, that have problems with She's a civilian watcher. She's not a civilian. She's not a genre. She's a straw woman. Uh, What's your... Oh, I got a few more here. Uh... And my biggest surprise surprised me. I wish I'd seen you on Sunday night. Of course, I because I, I was just like you just saw this. Just saw it Sunday night. Didn't expect it. I was going out of just almost like perfunctionary, just to like get it out of my way because I, I don't think I wait. Seen, what is it, Ted? I'm I'm very the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. purposely doing that. It's a film that preamble. I, it, yes, buildings it, tension. It's the film I think I would never get around to if I didn't see it in the theater. Because it's a second, it's a third of a trilogy so far, The Kingsman. I am oh. shocked, really, how much I got. I just really was moved by this one. Are you a fan of the first two? I went to saw the first one. It's a comic book, really, you know, based movie. Mark so, Miller and, and Dave Gibbons. I try, try to see all those little movies. It was kind of a fun, it had a, you know, kind of a really fun sp- uh, spin and spoof and satire on James Bond films and other spy elements. Great cast, Mark Strong, Michael Caine. Enjoyed it a lot, Colin Firth. But uh, the second one, I did not, yeah, I felt like I was just going through the motions watching it. I just, I was not really, uh, and it just kind of felt dead in the water. So I, by this time, I'm going, a third one, really? Okay. I go into it, and I was really, got a kick out of it. it I, You know, as much as people get moved by 1917 or uh, Paz of Glory, there's, there's World War I stuff in here that moved me. Wow. I know. I, 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 I mean, it's not Kubrick. It's not, it's, um, I just, it's, it, and that's what the critics were, I think, attacking. It's not doing well critically. The tonal shifts in it. I didn't mind the tonal shifts. I think that, I think he balanced it out. Okay. This is, uh, Matthew Vaughn, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, Matthew, I mean, I, I layer cake, cake first I like, class. X-Men I would really love class. to see what you guys think of this, but I, I don't know. I mean, it may be one of those really weird, strange, unique things with me that it just really worked on me. Expectations were so low. They were in the gutter, you know? So maybe that's another thing that helped it, but I would just really got a kick out of it. Um, I got two more, uh, curious evolution. I just thought it was interesting. The, uh, Marvel movies, uh, along with the Columbia movies, the, the uh, trajectory, we go from black widow all in one year. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Venom 2, Eternals, and then we end up with Spider-Man. What a what a kind of up and down, interesting uh, way. Because yeah. I've, I've heard I've heard mixed reviews. Some people just really go, "Oh, Eternals is a bomb," or a turd, you know. Mm-hmm. They, and then Venom 2 is like, "Oh, it's you know, it's goofy." Well, it's also and, the experiment of uh, discounting Venom. Uh, this is the MCU upping up their output. Yeah, they, even though you know the, the, we get the little tag with the Venom. Uh, that was a, yeah no 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 I, yeah. I yeah yeah so yeah I, but so I thought that was an interesting evolution and my last uh, of my observations tweaks marketing the TED awards uh, the film I was most fear of watching an actor act in a film was uh, Cry Macho <laughs> oh wait. well it, it's because Ace was gonna follow over. yeah I, I know it's terrible you, you, you know you, you, 
He looks brittle in a lot he of looks Okay, but you guys understand that film is filmed months before and edited later, <laughs> and like they, they know he's safe. It's not a live representation. I'm 63 years old. <laughs> I, I, re- I do realize that. I just, I, this is humor. It's called humor. I'm trying to be oh, funny. With oh, this. take responsibility for that because humor has to be funny. Well, it's just a fact. Well, it's just, I'm, I'm watching it. Well, there, I'm actually. There I'm, are scenes where he punches another person in this movie and it just looks odd. You just. Because he can. He really can't throw a punch any longer, but they're asking him to do so. But, but or he's he, asking himself or to do when he so. Makes, you know, he has to put his foot on a stoop. You're, you're, the way he does it, you're almost like, don't fall over. Please don't fall over. Cause, uh, you're just saying that the movie looks fake. Or his him his, his casting is fake. I think you could say that about some of these Liam Neeson movies too, where you know well, they, they enhance him probably with CGI. I mean, uh, uh, well, he, you would have to. Yeah. So I. Uh, but that said, uh, uh, Eric, you were like you you got a big uh, you kind of a good take on a crime mantra. You liked it? No, uh, I did not. No. <laughs> but you said you you do see another Eastwood film. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in that terms, absolutely. Uh, uh, and I mean, honestly, Cry Macho is better than uh, some of his recent output. I mean, really? I, I think that he's he's a working director. And, you know, if he's willing and able, he should be able to make a film every year until he he just can't anymore. Smith, what were you, okay. what was your next one? Uh, let's, uh, I did Pig. We're going to do uh, Summer Soul and Let It Be. I mean, Get we, Back. We, never got, we haven't got back to Summer Soul. Yeah. Summer Soul, Let It Be. Uh, I, I, get I, Back. I want to put, yeah, Get Back. I just, you keep going I just recognized that I did that wrong and I did it wrong again. Uh, get Back and uh, Summer Soul. I really, really enjoyed both of those films. And I think it's partially that I'm at the age now where these culture artifacts just existing for all this time and then getting an opportunity to see them finally really worked for me. But of course, as a big music fan, seeing these unseen sets from Sly and the Family Stone and Nina Simone, I think really, really worked for me. Plus, just the time period. I mean, that's literally the... Summer of Love and and, you and know. Summer of Woodstock. So wait, wait. Uh, they say this in there, and I, I'm curious if it's true. Like that that festival isn't that none none of it survived really. Like there's no no recordings really got out. Or people is it really not that well known? I'm gonna all? be honest. I I was unfamiliar with all of it, and I mean, there's been times in my life where I seek out you know festival recordings. So I mean, I've seen you know Woodstock, Texas Pop Festival. Uh, there's even some footage of the. Uh, soda pop festival from Poseyville. So, I mean, I, there's a, a period of time where I sought those things out and that footage just wasn't available. Now the footage from Peter Jackson's get back, some of that did circulate, but obviously not eight hours of it. And so you just got, you're just so waiting for that torrent more. to pop up, aren't you? Oh yeah. And, and to be honest, I think, you know, we talked about that in the episode, you know, I would watch all of that. And I think I would watch, all three weekends of summer of soul. If Questlove just said, well, here's the director's edition and you're going to get every note played. And, you know, I think that that would still, it's almost as if you were attending that festival. And yes, both of these uh, specifically summer of soul is indebted to Michael Wadley's Woodstock, which I think is one of probably one of my all time favorite films. Mm, So, I mean, that was really something that was, you know, important to me and I liked it quite a bit. Uh, but both of those films easily top five this year. Uh, and part of it is, you know, the fact that, it, it, you know, the, the cultural artifact portion of it. I mean, that was just something that, you know, if it had come out in that time, I don't know. Well, there's another uh, famous uh, 
documentary. It's called Watt Stacks, and it was made in the 70s. And Isaac Hayes and Richard Pryor plays. And that's been available this whole time. And I bet most people are unfamiliar with it because it just I'm not doesn't. Familiar with it. It's not high profile, but you know, Summer Soul comes back and it gets this full release, and people are aware of it. So it it, it had its moment, and it was it was great. I, I really had a good time with that, both of those. And of course, we already talked about Let It Be, but you know, it was an just an amazing feast of of just so much of this footage. Uh, so I think that I would put those at like five and four, somewhere around there. I had French Dispatch in between the two, but I think that's kind of interchangeable. I do think Wes Anderson made his movie again, and if you're a Wes Anderson fan as I am, I I can't imagine him making a film that I didn't like. I've I've loved the animated films. I loved Isle of Dogs. Uh, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox was terrific, even better than Isle of Dogs. I think he's just a consummate filmmaker, and he's one of my favorites. So French Dispatch, really really solid. Uh, and then I want to talk about my number two and I'll leave my number one to you because I think it was your number one. And it was also Ted's number one. Uh, but my number it's two, Ted, Ted's film film as his film. film. My number two was the power of the dog, uh, the Jane Campion film. I saw it just recently within the last couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, and I'm still thinking about it. It, it just, uh, it, it's been haunting me for a little while. And I think that, you know, obviously the cast is in, uh, Jesse Plemons is a star in the making. Cumberbatch is it's his finest performance. I, I I really really fell in love with him as an actor because he. This is the this, other movie with Thomas and McKenzie, is it? Thomas and McKenzie, and she plays it's a small role. Yeah. But when she shows up, she's just really cute. Mm-hmm. You really like when she when she has a just a, she only has maybe four or five lines in the entire movie. Right. But it's great, and, and of course Kirsten Dunst. It's such a slow burn, and whenever. Um, it starts to click in and like, let you know what it's known, what it's been the entire time. It's, it, uh, it's effective. I'll well, give it I, I wasn't even, I, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't expecting that. I think initially you get an impression from the Cumberbatch character where this is going to go. Uh, and you know, uh, when you find out where his character, where, you know, what his motivation is and where his cruelty come from, you kind of come to, uh, have a different perspective on that character. And then later when it changes again and you, and you realize, you know, you hadn't been looking at that character or the Cody Smith McPhee, McPhee character. I was gonna say he's, he's, he's great in this. Yeah, of course. I, I, it was just so good. And then of course, just the way that this is framed. I love the set of that ranch, all those beautiful windows. And, you know, they mentioned a couple different times, like, stay out of the cold or it's cold in here but it felt cold like inside that huge ranch it felt cold and then of course and i I mentioned this when we talked about it i did uh i didn't realize that that was johnny greenwood music until the movie was over you realize in um johnny greenwood and spencer too oh yeah well johnny spencer sounds like johnny greenwood like that's when you expect johnny doesn't power the dog does not but it's you know it's just as powerful so I think Power of the Dog it may be a little bit overlooked, uh, but I, I don't think I, so. I think it's supposed to. It's high up on a lot of people's Oscars. It's been there. high up on a few lists, but I've seen it left off a few lists mm. too. And I, I think some people have some problems with maybe the length, and also that the. St- but you know, I wonder. Some of this is just real subtle, and maybe that doesn't play as well. I, I don't know, but it, it really worked for me. 
And with the exception of all of our number one movies, it was the thing that I think that I've thought about the most. Okay, winding down my list, uh, number five, Come On, Come On, which I think Mike Mills is one of our best filmmakers, American filmmakers. Number four, uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, which I guess we have a debate on format on this because I have seen this on no other list. I think I've seen it on some TV lists, but... It's a comedy special, but it is a deeply cinematic comedy special. Like it is, and it was a self-made in someone's apartment, deeply personal. It's, it's the best piece of pandemic art. Yeah, it was very effective. I also watched it during the pandemic. I'm sure you did too. Yes. And it was, it's hard to watch, especially the end. Yeah, but also uh, definitely funny at times. It's not as if it's a comedy special without comedy. But you're saying it's such a unique piece oh of work this is, this that is, it, it elevates beyond the comedy special. Well, comedy specials are high. I mean, we're living in the year where Richard Pryor uh, concert film got in, uh, inducted into well, the Well, yeah, but that was, that, was, that was released as a film and marketed as a film and labeled as a film. This this is up there, that level. This is. Oh, I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying label. I'm not saying level, but, but what if is it eligible for an Oscar? I, it's it's been on TV lists. I haven't seen it on yeah. anyone else's film list, which I don't understand exactly the reasoning. But because it's so it's such a tight watch. But we're talking about a stand up special where maybe it's a fake moment, but it felt real to me. I think you could argue maybe it's a fake moment, but he's filming himself and he just breaks down filming himself and has to start over at the end. So are you, okay. so another, you. are you like, maybe like, like just what we just mentioned a minute ago. Uh, it is such a piece of idiosyncratic like, creativity that there's not much to compare it to. It's like the, it's like the Twin Peaks third season or the uh, Get Back. It's No, 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 because I mean, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's, 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 it's different format that might come into the list. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what to compare this to. Like the things that come to my mind aren't like raw or something like that. I'm thinking like a Chris Marker film. Or I'm, something just, like I'm not that. trying to compare it to those two. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be uh, like devil's a, advocate. Like say, well, uh, it, it, it transcends its label, uh, what it's labeled as. It transcends the comedy. Special. I don't think the label matters here. Yeah, I, well, I, just, I, don't. I know. And that's, that's, it's such a piece of creativity. And that's that, what I feel like, like if you have a reaction, you think it's just a comedy special. Because I think a lot of people have, have uh, c- uh, condensed it down to its album and its songs, and like its songs have taken off more than the special itself. I, I mean, well, I, I, to me, I'm, without seeing it, I'm thinking, well, this kind of makes me think of Twin Peaks third season or Get Back. Well, he can, Bo Burnham started out first. Off, Bo Burnham, um, eighth grade's a great film. He's a director unto himself. Uh, he started out as a YouTube person who was, made his name filming himself. So he this is a natural progression right. for him. It's, well, it's well, maybe it's, it, to its own distinct. It's a whole new uh, the YouTube uh, whatever we're gonna well, TikTok and Twitter and all this stuff. It does feel like a YouTube movie in a good way, but it's yeah. I mean it's like a a twenty a, a YouTube uh uh star 20 years on and with his filmmaking chops having an upgrade he gets trapped in a was it it's like the nightmare on elm street house he got trapped in like it it literally is like a historical or it's a it's a filming location of a horror movie it's kind of hard watching some parts i think the reason it's not on a lot of lists the reason it's not on my list i again it may be format i don't know but if we're in a considering that as a film then uh, i mean i think I, bo burnham is a, is follow up to eighth grade makes sense for me as his film okay that's, well, that's where I, I also loved it. eighth grade. So yeah, uh, my number three, uh, my two next two are musicals. Tick tick boom. Speak, continuing the Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, I I am completely unfamiliar with the show. There's a sequence in the middle of this that um, uses a bunch of Broadway stars then and now, 
and I don't recognize, I barely recognized any of them. So it's, I'm not a Broadway person, but this is, it's written in a way that's like takes the original show and makes it cinematic, but also updates it with the knowledge of its main character, author, ostensible author, original author's death in the movie being a ticking, ticking literal in its title, ticking talk, ticking clock towards death. It's just really touching on top of being a great musical. Yeah, I was unfamiliar with the songs, but I also thought it was touching. Uh, and Andrew Garfield, I think, deserves uh, you know extra recognition. I've heard people point out who knew he can sing that well. Just like a great actor suddenly pulls this quiver out of his, his uh, air out of his quiver. So quiver out of his hat. Am I getting it right? Um, my number two. Back to our, the last episode. Uh, West Side Story. I just. I think this is one of our greatest filmmakers making one of his greatest movies in the last 20 years, maybe one of his top films ever. And there's a a DJ podcast he did recently, an interview with Damien Chazelle, where they talk about how I I have a pet theory that Spielberg, the reason Jaws is such a great movie is that like uh, it went a hundred days and Spielberg being such a fast shooter that like he shoots a lot of his stuff fast and intuitively, but you give him a lot of time, it weeds out some of the bad ideas and makes something a little more integral. So that's where like the don't show the the monster until two thirds of the way through the movie is because Jaws shot for a hundred days. And Spielberg said this is the longest uh, pre-production and rehearsal he's ever had on a movie. And so, like, he was shooting the movie with his iPhone during pre during these rehearsals. And he said he threw out a lot of his approaches and had to redo it. So it's just like he redrafted and recreated it. It's just, it's just one of our best directors' best movies. It's I'm startled by it. I also think we should mention uh, Tony Kushner one of America's best playwrights. So the best and the best. And like the ways it updates the story without really having to do much and it adds so much like layers to the characters and uh, drama to their, to their uh, conflicts. I get Ted why, like I've, I've run into one other person who had your approach where it's like, I don't understand why Spielberg's making West Side Story, but yeah. So, and the number one, I think uh, your film film, Smith, you're number one, Oliver, Dune. Just cinematic, uh, um, you know, going back to our episode on Dune, uh, David Lean was originally supposed to be the very first director considered for this. This is David Lean doing doing Dune updated. and We all watched Dune at the same time, and I think we all left stunned. I think we all were... We were paralyzed. It was, we were really anticipating this film, and it did not let us down whatsoever. I had this is probably going to be my movie of the year, and it was my movie of the year. Yeah. I also think after that, I kind of reconsidered, and I'm like, well, like Ted said, should a genre movie be my favorite film of the year? And although it has been, like, for instance, Dark Knight, where I've had genre films as my number one film of the year, it's rare, but I think this is definitely the exception. It's that good. And then we had that much fun. I heard the other day someone redo that speech at the end where it was about the meaning of life is not something to uh, be figured out or overcome. It's something to be experienced and to live through. I, I'm butchering the line, but I was like, damn, that's good writing. And like, I, you know, I, re- I read the first two books now and maybe that's in there somewhere in the books and it's hard to, to pit, cherry pick all that stuff out. But like, there's so much going on, so much profundity that then like in, that still is to be filled out on top of this like cinematically realized universe. It, why we're best directors? It's again my my t- my top two are my are two of our best working directors. But yeah, that's not unusual. But I that, that that is how good works. That is how quality works. 
anyway, uh, one other mention I want to mention of interesting things and highlights of the year and cinematic, blah, 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 is Tarantino's uh, book, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think we can't, I think that needs to be mentioned uh, amongst all the Up- Update from the, uh, um, our episode, you read the hardback, did you read the Lancer episode? No, I haven't yet. Oh, the Lancer episode is cool. Yeah. It is so, if it's just one of five he's written and maybe one of them's in the movie, yeah, it's like, it's a half hour did you check? Did you check the rest of the book? Is there anything else added in the uh, the, the bulk of it? Uh, uh, there's extra stills at the end. Of yeah, me, I mean, so, I mean, is there? Any, and then there's the Mad Magazine stuff. He didn't do and, a new re-edit of the whole book, the novel itself, did he? I didn't go that. Okay. I don't think there is. Okay. I, just, I doubt there just is. Bonus material, basically. It's a book. It's the same book. Yeah, as far as with, I with know. With extra goodies. And the Lance, the the, pri- the worth the price of admission. The La- the Lancer script. I think I showed you guys. I, I came across a couple of Lancer comic books in the flea market and a. A small comic book show. I picked them up. No, you didn't. There's like three. They put Gold Key put out three uh, Lancer comics, and I picked up. Two, I found two of them. So. Jeez Louise! All right, everybody. I guess that's our 2021. Uh, here's to a better 2022. Ted Smith, thank you guys for being on the podcast. And Anytime. Uh, yes, and more Richard Lester next time. <laughs> Please, more Richard Lester. You were you you did that one. You did oh, that one. Oh, yeah. You were use that one. Sorry. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>